Mom always said I was born on the wild side. One foot in the flames and the other trying to walk a line. Can't say I never saw it coming, I could see the warning signs. Mom always said I was born on the wild side. I guess mama was right. Cause when the clock strikes midnight, gonna ride the lightning, feel the thunder, till the darkness pulls me under. Gonna fly on wings of fire, pray the good Lord lifts me higher, singing, oh, when they call me home, singing, oh, when they call me home, gonna ride the lightning. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> that was great, that's man. All, that's it. That's all. I can't sing. I hate you make, that you make us do this. I try. Carlito you know makes what? us do this, man. Clear, man. <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you very much for attending and listening to us. We're out of here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just about thanks the music the two-hour drive. I'll see you later. Shortest podcast no, no, ever. No. Mark, thank you very much, man. You're the first to be on uh, the third time. Yeah. Three's that's, a charm. That's, that's actually great. It's amazing, man. So Mark Frazier's back here from Craigmore Construction, www.craigmore.ca, and it's Mark at craigmore.ca, and his Instagram is craigmore, M-H-O-R underscore construction. We are not going to talk about bricklaying. We are not going to talk about your specific trade. We're not even going to talk about Cardio's interests. Um, Yes, we are. Yeah, we are. (laughs) We are going to talk... I got hair in the mic, man. It's not the first time I saw that. (laughs) Man, that's annoying. We are going to talk about the industry and numbers, stats, Stats. tradespeople. We're going to talk about education. We're going to talk about apprenticeships. We're going to talk about high schoolers, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, retirement. We're going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about the conversation you had with our MP here. Yeah, actually, it was the Minister of Labor, Monty McNaughton. We're going to talk about that. So today on today's show, Carlito... This is a good one, huh? What? <laughs> I, I think you're very excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm I don't see you this excited all the time. Okay, I love it because Mark is the one that told me all about this, and we're, we're talking about this, and I just said, we got to talk about this. We got to talk well, about it on the show. It, it has to be really good because for you to speak to someone three times and still be this excited. <laughs> <laughs> I speak to you all the time. Yeah, I try not to talk to you, though. <laughs> I'm All an right, exciting guy. What can I say? <laughs> on with the show. Let's go, let's go. So, Mark, you take it over, man. So, oh, by the way, I got Carlito right beside me. Sorry. Just hey. want to let everybody know. <laughs> I'm over here. And we're at VentureX. That's it. I just want to say we're at VentureX right now. And we're recording here. And everybody, thank you so much for booking and getting... Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, baby. <laughs> that was Carlito's phone as I'll be doing the little preempt on the stuff. The 24 hours coming up on November 20th and 21st. Carlito and I are going to be recording 14 back-to-back podcasts. We have 14 amazing guests. More than that, because we have more than one guest on some of the shows, but we're going to talk about a huge cross-section of the construction industry, and I'm excited about that. Carlito's excited about that, and we're going to stay up for 24 hours, record all these shows, and we're just going to have lots of fun. Yeah, I'm more interested to see if you can do it, buddy. I don't know, man, dude. (laughs) I don't know if you have it in you. I'm pushing 50. Let's... Okay, so... Now let's get so the I actually sent out a letter to Doug Ford and Monty McNaughton. Uh, probably, I think you actually saw that, Manny. I sent oh, it yeah, out to you. And this sent is it what to Jim. the beginning of yeah, the year. Beginning of the year. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't really hear anything. Kind of dead air. And then all of a sudden, I got a response from someone on his desk, and she was like, you know, he's he, Monty's looking to talk about people with you know trade background and trade experience and their trade experiences. And I said, okay, well, she's like, would you be interested in that? And I said, yes. And I was really excited because. 
this is the first time I've actually ever heard of or seen a politician actually reaching out to frontline guys. I know. And I thought that I was like, okay, you know, are they just going to like soundbite me and then just like chop it up and like make it seem like I'm saying things. And it actually wasn't like that at all. I, I just looked at the opportunity. I engaged with that. I, I asked them, okay, you know, how do you see this going? Can you give me an outline so that I'm prepared? And, you know, I know his, uh, time is really, really, uh, important. My time's really important. So let's try to be as efficient as possible. So basically what ended up happening is they sent me something back and they wanted to know what my trade background was how the shortage in the labor has kind of like affected our business, which is it's stunted the growth, I think, in everybody's company quite heavily because I think for the whole last two years, we've just been trying to survive. And it's basically been kind of one of these things where even if you have the work, you can't get the materials. And if you can get the materials, the materials are coming at an added cost that it's very hard to pass on to the client because I don't know about you guys, but the way I run my business is... I give them a ballpark, they like that ballpark, then I give them a formal quote, I take a deposit based on that time. Then if all of a sudden they hit us with a 10, 20% markup, it's very hard to go back to the well for water. I think this year has been like kind of, you know, you can have a schedule together, but it's been, been all over the place. Let me stop you there. Did you start by saying that the MP was saying that there's a short, there's not a shortage no, in labor? No, what he was doing is he was trying to figure out how this pandemic had affected our business. But everybody has gotten increased work. And the biggest problem that every trace person that I've spoken to has been on the show, and I'm sure Carlito, you've heard about it as well. We can't find the tradespeople to keep up with the scope of work that mm -hmm, we're getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we could never in the first place. So as a it's gotten worse. Yeah, and as a segue to that, what he did is he said, okay, so COVID impacted this. I sort of gave him a little bit on the supply chain. And then what he said is, okay, how is the labor shortage affecting you? Because he wanted sort of two different ways of going uh, about okay. it. We told him, you know, it's hard to grow. It's hard to train people. And then he was like, okay, what would you suggest, you know, we do to get younger people in the trades? I actually wrote a four-page proposal and sent it to him. And it was just like how, you know, I, I think... I can, I'll get into this a little bit later, but I think grade 10 is the sweet spot. I think that's the sweet spot. When and you say the sweet spot, you mean the age of the person? The age, the schooling, and everything that's formulated with it. And here's why, okay? So we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit. The reason why grade 10 is a sweet spot is they're still extremely impressionable. They have now don't have as many prerequisite classes and then if you want to specialize in the high school with like, for example, you can give them general carpentry, okay, in grade 10. Then you can specialize them for the next two years into like cabinetry, form work, something along those lines. And then what they do is now they pick a path and now they have two years experience and maybe we do things like we incentivize them with hours towards apprenticeship, hours, you know, like, okay, now you're actually a second year because you have all the skills and we've seen that in a classroom setting, go figure, because look at, like, if you look at a high school, that's what it is, right? So now you have kids that are 18, second year apprentices, two years down the line, they're 20, making full journey rate, and they're good. And they've already committed like a young portion of their lives to this. And again, but that's not what's going on right now. That's not what's going on right now. And so but, what is the truth that's going on right oh, now? The truth that's going on right now is you have, I mean, I don't want to speak too much about And we're just talking about Canada here yeah, in general. Yeah. So right now you have, well, a lot of high schools don't have what they are going to deem it. I think it's technological arts is what they're going to call it. 
what happens is, is you have a demographic. Like, for example, I know for a fact that Milton has a shop, but a school in Oakville doesn't. And there so isn't one trade school in Oakville? There is one trade school. It's White Oaks. But the thing is, if that White Oaks is servicing a large section of the Halton region. So you might have like three trade schools out of 15. So now what you're talking about is kids' parents have to drive them. They have to take bus, alternate transportation. It's very difficult to do that. And then if the parents don't support the kids either, like I know for Which me, most likely is the case. It may be the case. I mean, my parents were a little bit different. I had to go to White Oaks and they were like, well, if you're going to go to White Oaks to take the carpentry course, they're like, then what you got to do is you got to find out the bus route. So I had to figure out the bus route and that's what I took and that's what I did. And I took public transport. But you're, you're like unique, Mark. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I, could you know offhand that the Toronto... How many trade schools there are in Toronto? I, I don't know off that. Like, I, I, I mean, like Carlito, I, Central Tech? I don't think they do it anymore. No way. I, I know a guy that's an electrician there, and he said they've closed down everything. Because the other, and here's the other thing, too, because I have talked to some teacher friends of mine, and they said the biggest thing is it's funding. It's well, funding. It's not only that. Injuries have been happening, and the schools are liable now, for, for this, and, and parents are suing them. And it's causing problems, so they don't want the liability. Is that really the big thing? No, so I'll dive into that one a little bit here. So here's the thing. I remember when I was going through shop, there was a rigorous training program. Like you went, you did the safety, and you got signed off on it. And I believe that was a way for sort of schools to curb that liability. But I do agree with you in the sense that, yeah, they see it as a liability. But I really think at the end of the day, it comes down to funding. Because you, me, and Manny, we all carry liability. It costs us an arm and a leg, but we carry it. But the thing is, school boards get tons of money thrown at them to allocate a small section of this. And the crazy thing, too, is most schools are outfitted with shops already. Like, it's true. Like for example, Iroquois Ridge, I know for a fact, has an automotive and a woodworking shop. Now, I don't know if the automotive is still working, but I know that they shut down the woodworking shop. And what, what happened? They just turn off the lights and that's it. And then all the stuff just sits there. You're totally right. That's exactly what I've been hearing. So, Can, can I ask you guys? Sorry to interrupt. What occupation in high school or career opportunity in high school gets the most funding, you guys think? I think it goes to uh, uh, sciences. Sciences? Sciences is number, is, I would say, is number one. And then maths is the second one. And that's the push. I can tell you in, athletics from an Oakville demographic. No, athletics actually comes from privatized funding most of the time. Really? Yeah, because when I was in football, because I played football when I was at Iroquois Ridge, all of our equipment and stuff like that was donated by somebody else who believed in the program. And the crazy thing is the football program doesn't exist at my high school anymore really? because there's not enough interest or it's going away or there's not as much enrollment. So now they got to think, okay, well, we have an equipment room. What are we going to use this space for? It's interesting that you say science and math because females enter science and math more than males. Yep. There's more females in the engineering side of businesses. There's more female in the science side of businesses. But maybe let me segue that too. A lot of university courses need maths and sciences. True. So what happens, and it's prerequisites. Yeah. So the thing is, it makes sense to pump the funding into that because that's what's going to, your students are going to come. They're going to have enough classrooms for that prerequisite, and then they're going to be able to leverage that into their university credits. So we're dealing with a country here that we have almost 40 million people, and I, I guess for the American listeners that basically we're the size of California. Mm. 
And we have, from what I understand, about 1.3, 1.5 million of those people are in some sort of trade. I think it's 1.25. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, it's 1.25. Okay. And that's, they're in some sort of trade yeah. there. What percentage would that be of our country workforce? Well, I think when I ran the stats, I think with you and Jim, I think what it was is most of that actual construction that we're talking about, because I think it was like the 1.2, I think that was between Ontario and BC. Like that was across Canada. Yeah, well, those are the largest ones. So it'd yeah. be Ontario, it'd be BC, and, it'd yeah. be, and I'm going to assume Quebec as well. Yeah, I think they, I think they kind of. Those are the three big ones. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Just to kind of like segue back to sort of what Monty was saying is he was just like, you know, how do we get young people into the trades? And then he was also asking me about like inefficiencies in the actual trade schools. And I said, well, that post, sorry, in the post trade schools, no, in the trade schools now, like for example, like OMTC, okay, uh, local twenty-seven. I know has. Oh, I love to hear these inefficiencies. What are they? So my, so realistically, at the end of the day, it's the admin, it's the admin, because the admin doesn't reach out. Because the thing is, they get paid whether or not there's five students in the class or they have a full classroom. There's no real incentive to pull those kids in. And I'll give you a really good... They still get paid if those kids yeah, drop out. Because the thing is, they're part of the teacher's union. <laughs> they're, they're all amongst all that. And by the way, I don't hate them for that. Because, I mean, hey, listen, benefits and a really good pension and job and stuff like that, I understand what they're doing. Here's where I get upset. And this is something I learned very quickly. So when I was applying to OMTC, I would call them. They wouldn't pick up. I'd call them again. They wouldn't pick up. <laughs> No, seriously. I'd send them an email. You're determined, they wouldn't, man. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't respond. Then finally, I had to drive there, drove there, and went, and I said, hey, I would like to sign up for this program. And they were like, oh, okay. And they gave me the paperwork, signed up the paperwork, drove back, gave it to them, and they were like, okay, yeah, we'll see you in this time. Now, I thought, now I thought, okay, maybe I'm well, a one-of. hungry. I was like, maybe I'm a one-of, right? But then my buddy who's an HVAC tech out in St. Catharines, he was going for his, his, I think his second, like his gas fitters in his refrigeration. And he called the school and he says, yeah, I called them and they didn't pick up. And I said, you call them again and again and again. I said, these people, they work for you. You pay their salary. That's how you got to treat them. Did you them. ask them why they're not answering the phone? No. And, the th and here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. When he called, he called... Two or three days later, and they were like, oh, you just got lucky because we just almost filled up. And I'm going, but you messaged them a month ago. And he's like, yeah, there's a massive inefficiency here where there's got to be a, a clearer or, or so what's more the direct, solution? I think a direct line of communication. I think that what you have to do is, unfortunately, someone has to act as the mediator personally to be like, okay, I got 20 names here. Here you go. This is, these are who is going to be showing up. And then that person goes, okay. And then that's it. I think that uh, unfortunately there needs to be some handholding here or you need to digitalize it. So it streamlines it better. Which I was is, just going to say that like, it's disappointing that these government funded <laughs> bodies, is it fair to say that construction exploded on social media and we use Instagram and social media to network? We, we have been doing that for the last 100%. five, six years, right? Yeah. But have you seen any of these governing bodies do any of that or even contribute or be a part of the conversation? I Nobody. Think, I think they kind of fall into the university college advertising category. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. You ever seen a university advertise? No. You ever see a college advertise? No. So they're of the same mindset. 
Because so, if you want to go, you're just going to exactly. go. Exactly. But the thing is, with this massive crisis that we're facing, we see the tidal wave coming. No one's battening down their doors or putting plywood in their shacks. And we're going, there's going to be a labor shortage. There's going to be a ton of money on the table. And all of a sudden, no one's pushing these, this, this agenda. What about all the tradespeople that are actually looking forward to this because they figure that, sure, bring on the shortage because it just means that my price is just going to get higher. I think something that, and we mentioned this really early, like earlier before we got in here, I think that that's going to have a massive mental impact and strain on the modern day construction worker. You're totally right. Yeah, because think about it. We want to make our clients happy. I do not believe a tradesman goes in there these days, a reputable one, and tries to steal from the client or tries to do a bad job. I agree. I think that what ha- what we have dealt with in the last two years, by the way, we've been frontline workers and shout out to all the construction workers that kept working through this time. For sure. I think that they've done more than they actually are getting credit for. And no one's mentioned it. I really do believe that these last two years have shown us what a shortage does. And then the thing is, when you have demanding clients and you can't get the materials, now they're going to shop you. Now they're going to go somewhere else. Now, And it's just you're going to lose jobs. Right now, we're kind of benefiting from this because we can go, okay, you can go shop me, but you're not going to find anybody else. But our, Okay, our shortage of materials, I strongly still believe that it is strictly profiteering. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Lumber right now is funny. I was walking around the big box store. Most of it's from Quebec. Two, two by fours are at three and change now. A half inch sheet of plywood is at $32, $33. You know, like it, it, at the beginning of the year, we were dealing with a $108 sheet of three quarter ply. Yep. It is purely greed. This labor, this material shortage is, I still think, greed is what it was. It is. I think, well, you know, there, there's a few different ways that people went about the lumber shortage i know that the mills shut down and i think it kind of turned into an oil crisis a little bit where you know you can see the barge it's sitting there but they're waiting for the and and the thing is farmers do this too i know because my uncle gary used to farm and you know you wait until your grain hits a certain threshold and that's when you bring it to market so it's it's kind of that's what you get with free market right and then also when you have like three guys supplying x amount and then our software lumber deal is really bad with the states. Like I remember reading about That's that. But the stupid, thing is, they they never they did that at the time when oil was worth trading for. They didn't do it when it was like they didn't do it when it was in the middle of a pandemic. So the thing is, they could never foresight what was going to actually happen and how bad it was actually going to turn for us. So I think what ends up happening is with Monty, we just basically kind of went through that. I talked. I gave him my plan. And we'll see what happens. I'm going to press him in the winter. I'm going to keep on pressing him. I'm going to find somebody. He told me that there was a committee that was actually put together on how to make the apprenticeship program more efficient and and more streamlined. And they've actually, he told me that they've actually gotten to the point where they're going to digitalize all of it. What I really, really, this, and this is like so big for me. I mean, people are like, I've digitalized stuff on my phone all the time. But the thing is, if you can digitally sign for someone's hours now, that pamphlet, that packet that we talk about all the time, it's, it doesn't exist anymore. So now you can kind of go and maybe you can jump from place to place and you can kind of experience more of the workforce instead of just being stuck with one guy where he's holding the packet over your head, which I'm sure does happen in some companies. And now it's all digital. It's on your phone and you literally just sign. It and it's so convenient because I mean, I think I watched Brian Baumler talk once and he says you have him four hours at night 
to yourself. And that's if you don't work for yourself. Sorry, you lost me at Brian Bond. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I smell Vaseline. Yeah. <laughs> but did he give you an idea how long this digital version of this is going to come out? Like how long it's going to take think the that government? I think what they're doing is they're actually shooting for a soft launch date. Again, you know, goalposts and government move all the time. I think this last two years kind of taught, taught us that. But I think he was hopeful for like January. And then he also wa- and then here's why don't the other- they get the same team that's doing the COVID vaccine passport Maybe. to do this? And I think you know what that actually might be um, that might be in a side of the technology that they're using. I'm not too sure. To sort of add to this as well, you know how like. Again, over the last couple of years, politicians have said a lot of things and maybe we don't know about them doing it. And I think like I take people with a grain of salt. Right. And I'm going, okay, you know, because he said, I want to get trades as early as grade one. And I was like, yeah, is that a good thing or bad thing? Okay, so I was thinking I was going, okay. I was like, well, first, I thought that's a that's a little ambitious. However, then my buddy, who's an elementary school teacher, got called out to Milton and was given a set of tools they were primitive tools they were very primitive tools i'll show you a picture of them later by a brand called draper only the best right i've never heard draper? Of the, yeah i've never heard of these guys don Draper. i don't know it was it was a hand crank drill a hacks yeah a hacksaw and like a hot glue gun and he made a push stick which you know it looked like a dick i'm not gonna lie it did, it did. It, it i was really about to did. say that brian bomber yeah. donate those it's funny you're going that direction because i was thinking about something too. yeah so anyways he made he made a push stick and i was like okay but here's the thing when monty told me that he wants it as low as grade one and then i see my elementary school teacher buddy with a set of tools it means that things are happening and even if it's small it's still something and i'd rather something than nothing because something needs to change i think if this is true, we're getting back on the right path. Because exactly. when, I, when I was in kindergarten, and I can remember this, one of the most important things that I remember is that we used to have these blocks in class, kind of like the, you know, kind of like the block that you, used, you usually you do. Yeah. And we would have one day, each student with a couple classmates, and we would build whatever we wanted. We'd have like an hour to put blocks together. And that put us in the building mode. Right. The development mode. Lego. The, the, you know, yeah. Like in large exa- form. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you, Mark, how was it? Like, did Monty seem genuine? Did he seem yes, like 100%. sincere that he cares about? And, and here's why. Here's why. Because he turned to me at some point in the conversation. He goes, Mark, I don't care if I carry the torch or somebody else does. This needs to happen. Good. And the thing is, again, Try not to give people a lot of credit, but when he said that, it turned something in me because that was somebody who's like, it's not even about what party I represent. It's about carrying this torch because this is going to burden us all. And we need more of that, I think, in politics in this day and age. Again, politics and COVID and religion, you just don't talk about these days. Wow. But, but You sound yeah, like my mom. <laughs> but you know what? At the, at the end of the day, I felt heard. And he only did like a 30-second clip soundbite. And he says, you know, what's the most important thing about working in the trades? And I said, you're always going to have a job, and it's tangible. You see it at the end of the day. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can look at that. You can, And that you don't get anywhere else. A couple of the other inconsistencies, I said, co-op programs are almost non-existent these days. Those need to come back. They're not working, though. I'm going to speak up on the yeah. OYAP side of things, which is government-funded by the Ministry of Labor and and 
it doesn't work. So I reached out to Oyap and I said, okay, you know, with your apprenticeship programs, how many uh, guys do you turn out a year? He said, we turn out about 200 students. I said, that isn't, did, have you ever seen the TED talk where the guy talks about immigration? No. Okay. So he talks about, he uses like a glass and some gumballs and he goes for every immigrant. I saw this. this there's this many people it's that brilliant. come in and basically what happens is he takes one gumball, puts it in a wine glass and he goes, but then there's this many immigrants that are this many people born. And then we take a gumball and we take this. And the thing is, we take the best and the brightest out of the country. And then this population grows and then eventually it spills over. So it's actually better if we leave the people over there. It's, it's a great talk. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. But it, it's exactly like, oh, yeah, you can apply it very quick. It's like if you guys are only turning out 200 students with $50 million in funding. Like, That's the problem like, I have like, is the amount like, of okay, funding that they have. Okay. They should be giving us the entire shortage right? of workforce. right. And, and that's the thing is like, so, so where's it going? Where's it going then? Because the thing is, not my uh, pocket, your well, pocket. The thing is, OYAP was supposed to curb this out. It was doing a really good job when I was kicking around. Brandon, Red Steel Carpenter, you know yeah. him. He was on yeah. the show. He reached out to me, he, me and him are buddies. Like we both came up the same way. And the thing is, there's probably more tradesmen in my generation right now. I know a couple guys that started a shoring business. I know guys who started their own landscape thing. I know guys that are doing like custom home builds, that type of stuff. Like it, there's something about my generation. And you know what? OEAP was just starting out. We had co-op programs. We had places to go. We had options. But this is what, like 15 years ago? Oh, fuck. You're in your early 30s. Yeah, you got, so you got hustling in your late teens. Yeah, so that's like, yeah, that's 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's like 15 years ago. Yeah, but I started when I was 14 too. But, but think about the workforce that we're dealing with right now. The, the, the face of the workforce in construction right now in the last, I'd say, seven years, five to seven years, is completely different. You're dealing with a digital age okay. workforce that's trying to control the ball while you have the older tradespeople deciding if they're going to stay longer or get out of the game and hand it off. The younger generation with the digitalization, so this is something that I've actually been formulating kind of in my head thinking about a lot, is they can process information a lot quicker. For sure. They can do it. It's just they're able to do it. What I think is happening, though, is they're too distracted. No one's focusing them. For sure. No one's focusing them because that's the one thing. A lot of guys I meet that are trades guys that are my age, they haven't been doing it for like three years. They've been doing it for like five, 10, 15 years. I'm trying to figure out what what that does. Are, are you saying that, are they growing up too fast? I don't think they're growing up too fast. I, think I mean, you know what I'm saying, mentally though, are they thinking that they get in, they go on their own, they try to go on their own within two years of mm -hmm. starting in this industry, and then they feel that they're totally ready to go on their own and start doing everything on their own and building their business. So here's, so here's the thing. I think that you have a, a scope, okay, of person. So I've actually been playing with this one a little bit. When you go and you get your MBA, four, six years of school, that's what it takes, okay? Really, that's what it takes, okay? Do you go into Rogers the day that you graduate and you go, I own this company? No. No. I do. <laughs> but so... Why are you going to approach construction the same way? I've seen a lot of guys say, oh, this guy's a red seal. He walked on site, said he's a red seal. I, and, and the thing is, these are younger guys that are coming in with that attitude. And I think what they have to realize is they have to humble themselves. And they said, okay, I have the piece of paper that shows that I'm, I have an aptitude for this, but I'm not a pro yet. And I think that's what people have to start realizing is like, just because you have 
the MBA, any type of schooling, really, construction, non-construction, you can't just walk in and act like you own the place because it's built on so much more than that. There's levels to that. So, again. Did you hear the show with Andrew from um, Ann Curry, the, one, the electrician with Jalen? Yes. So yeah. he was actually talking about an apprentice that came on board and how that apprentice went to so many different yeah. journey. And everybody kept on saying, this guy's untrainable. Yep. He's just got this attitude. He's got this chip. He, he thinks that he's better than everybody else. But then Andrew took the time to, to humble him and to shut him down and go, listen, you can't come into this industry with this chip. You need to understand that you have to be a part of this machine. And I will give him 100% credibility for that. That is the way that is supposed to be handled. I don't think you yell, kick, and scream at a guy. I think you just take him to the side and you tell him exactly how it is. And I think that a lot of people can learn from that particular situation. I can tell you for me, my, my mentor who did that to me was Steve D'Andrea. He's probably out there somewhere. If you're out there and you're listening to this, Steve, you, you did me a service. I was 22. I used to always respond with, I know, I know, I know. I used to do that. One day I go, I know, I know, I know. And he goes, no, you don't fucking know, Jimmy. He goes, you don't fucking know. You're 22. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing with the rest of your life. What the fuck do you know? I've never been so scared in my life. <laughs> I've never been so scared in my life. But after that, he took me under his wing and he showed me everything. He showed me everything because he was like, okay, now we've broken you down. Now we've rebuilt you. <laughs> and that is the thing is I think these days kids don't put themselves in a position to be broken down like that. I think what happens is, is they're sort of fed that sort of linear pattern. Is it them? Is it the parents? Is it society? So I think that what it really comes down to is it just comes down to options and choice. I think it comes down to the individual. Because the thing is, a lot of parents these days with the way that, like, I have two young kids now. Yeah, you're a parent. Yeah, Carlito's I'm, a parent. Yeah. So I have two young kids now, and I can tell you, one of the things that people were saying when, when they heard that I was having a boy is they're like, oh, you're going to work hard. You're going to be just like your old man. You're going to be a bricklayer. And I said, maybe Mia will be a bricklayer. Maybe she'll be the bricklayer. Maybe maybe Levi will be the one with it's the true. aptitude for this. And I said, and at the end of the day, what I really do believe in, and this saying goes, and people are like, oh, it's a crock of shit. No, it's, it's true. Find your passion, whatever it is, do that. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time on other things. Don't say, don't put it on the back burner. Okay, and that's why rolling back, it's so important that grade, that grade 10 is the age. Because, I was just thinking that, yeah. and I was just trying to think of at what age does one find their passion? Exactly. And I don't think that there's a specific age. No. I, I can see that grade 10. Grade 10, you're what, 16, 17 yep. years old? You're, you're 15, 16. So you're in your mid-teens is what you are. You're getting ready to be an adult. I mean, I'm trying to look back on Carlito. How were you at that age? Well, I'm totally different. I'm just, okay, so for me, we were farmers. So, so you did early, everything. So at an early age, yeah, my job was to, I think I've said this before, I'd, I'd have to go into town, get yeah, fresh bread that. every morning. Yeah, milk. Six years old. That's what I had to do. You know, drive on my bicycle, go there. I was allowed to work until 12 o'clock. And after 12 o'clock, I could go to the beach. So that motivated me to work efficiently, make them happy and get the hell out of there. So I started being programmed to work. I think that the parents have a big this, this comes from parents also. Parents these days don't have time for their kids. So they just leave them in their room. They deal with their things between themselves and their jobs. My father and mother always said, go get a job. I was 13. They're like, go get a job. Go get your own car. Go save some money. 
work, work, work. I was always told, go work, work, work. So I always had a job. How I many parents working. do you guys know that have said, my son or daughter is going to get into the trades? I don't see it. I don't hear it. No, I, I, I don't. I see hear it. everything else. Yeah. And also, I, I really do think that what it really comes down to, and this is something I've been pushing for a while, is not even the school systems that are put in place know how to navigate They're not. trade schools. Yeah. So like, for example, and I've heard this more than once, guidance counselors, they, 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 I come to the guidance counselor for what? Guidance. I don't know what I'm going to do. My classes are stressing me out. I got 50% in my maths and my sciences. That's not going to get me into McMaster science, like sciences. It's just not, okay? I'm looking at college courses, but I need a 60 and I, I'm just not getting it and I'm stressed out and I don't know what my parents are going to do and then I'm going to incur all this debt and all this cost and all this stuff, but I'm really good at gym. I'm good at leadership. I'm, you know, if there is a wood shop, I'm good at shop. And then what happens? The guidance counselor goes, well, why don't you just take general arts and sciences? Why don't you go to college and just take a general arts and sciences, get your foot in the door, that'll up your grades, and then what you can do is then you can pick and choose from the college courses. Okay, so I'm going to spend 10 grand to up the stuff that I'm getting for free, and then I'm going to go reapply. But the thing is, you're a year older, and then you're applying into a batch of new kids, and then the thing is, their averages might be higher than you, and then it's a numbers game again, right? I really think that some, I, I feel like people need to get them involved younger to show them that there's options. I'm actually going to be speaking at my old high school. Yeah, you mentioned and that. Because it's actually crazy. The French immersion teacher there said, would you mind coming in? Because I need somebody to show these kids that there's, there's other options besides college and university. I like that. And I'm going, yeah, 100%. I said, what I want to know is I want to know what your kids' uh, co like concept is of construction. What do they think? And, and I'm really looking forward to that. It's like getting into their brains of, on what they think the industry is. Because... That's a conversation I'm not having on a day-to-day. -day. We aren't asking 14, 16, 18-year-olds, men and women, hey, what do you think of construction? And, and the other thing, too, is I was thinking about this as well. What do you think of a work environment? When you think about working for the rest of your life, what do you think in a work environment? I'm sure that if you asked any kid, they'd probably be like, I don't know. I don't know much about teenagers, but what I do know, I take it from my nieces and my nephew. I've got four nieces and one nephew. I was dumbfounded as I watched them grow. Now they're from, I, I guess now the youngest one would be 17. I got to always be reminded of their birthdays. I don't know what the numbers are, right? So, and the oldest one would be 26, 27. All five of them went into the arts. Okay. I feel that that age group, so they're, they're Gen Z, right? That's what they would yeah. be. I think so. So the 26-year-old is on the cusp of the end of millennials yeah. and entering Gen Z, and all the rest of them are all Gen Z, right? Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I don't know my So in and around that whole thing. So I, I'm looking at my family tree there, and these are my nieces and the nephew, and they're all getting into the arts side of industry. Okay. Whether it's a animator, filmmaker, photographer, mm -hmm. wardrobe stylist, that's, that's, so that's five in one family. Yeah. So when I speak to them and I ask them about their friends, their friends are getting into those types of industries that are somewhat connected to those. Yep. So they're getting into the digital age. They're getting into influencing. They're getting into all this other stuff. Nobody is speaking about construction. And Why? Because they don't know. 
they don't know. They're I, not being informed. They're not being informed. There's no push. So does like, it start from the guidance? Because my question yeah. was, what's the prerequisite to be a guidance counselor? Because oh. you're you're shaping a human being's mind for possibly the rest of their life. You, you probably have a degree in psychology and then some sort of social work, I would assume. Yeah. And then um, you you know you work your way through the board. But I mean, we can speculate that on all day. Let's take the guidance counselor out of that. How many programs are geared to the trades right now in high schools? None. Well, that's what I mean. So the thing is, if you're not being made aware of these things, if you don't know, then you're you're just how many it, programs are are, are are geared towards influencing? Right. Like I read, I, or someone I, I heard on the news, I think it was two three months ago. There's a course at the University of Toronto for Drake. Yep. What? Yep. Yes. Because he's an artist, and and he's influencing so there's a course. the generation. There's a course. So maybe we can hire people to sing on the job site. Maybe they'll move the wood. I think, I think, okay, so let's, let's dial it back and let's bring this back a little bit. Okay. The influencing I looked into, okay, there's about top 10 influencers and they have about, I think the top one was like 20.7 million followers. Okay. <laughs> right. Now they're going to turn a profit on that, but I can tell you right now what people don't understand with that influencer, you need a mini marketing team behind you. Those people cost money. If you don't have influence and capital and you're not in Cali or Los Angeles, like it's Hollywood. I think you and me talked about this. It's Hollywood. Hollywood is full of a bunch of has been or would be or want to be actors and actresses. You know what I mean? And that's the disagree light is not on. Yeah. And and the thing is, (laughs) it's the same for social media influencing. It's the same. So if you think that you're going to go out there and turn a buck doing that, all the more power to but you. They if, do. If you're if you're passionate about it, it, the ones who are passionate about it do. The ones that aren't passionate about it, yes. I mean, because I can tell you right now, once you hit a thousand followers, then you hit three thousand, but then it's like a hundred thousand. Then you got to get verified. Then there's all this other stuff. Like it, it extrapolates, right? And the thing is, the guys that are doing that, they are posting every single day, and it doesn't matter what the content is. They're not creating a continent. They're just creating a post. <laughs> that's no, that's no, the I way that agree. I say, you know, they're not. And then what are they actually doing with that? You get a ton of likes, you get some kickback and then that's it. You've made it. You kick back and you're relaxed, right? Let's talk to the parents right now because we had a conversation a few days ago that sparked this podcast. Yeah. I want to do the cost comparison. If you've got your kid that goes into university and you can pick the career option versus comparing it to your kid getting into trades. Okay. So this is good. Really, yeah, really, like this really, really quick cost analysis here. Okay. So I Googled all this. Don't rake me across the coals. It's averages, 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 averages. Okay. So average student debt, 27,000. That's what it is. Okay. Average car what, at the end of your education. Yes. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. 27,000. Now could be higher, could be lower. If you're going for a master's, it's higher. If you're going for just your regular BA, it's lower. And anybody can throw a stone and hit a BA. That's the big joke, right? Average car payment, 565 times 12. It's 565 a month for your car. Average rent, two grand times 12. Okay. Let's start getting into the gritty. Average Canadian makes 52K a year before taxes, not after. That translates down to about... 40,000. What age bracket is that 52 grand a year? I'm going to assume, well, this is the thing. Well, no, let's go. Let's, let's look at it this way. If you go directly to university at 18, you're out of there by the time you're 22. So let's say 22 to 25. That's the age bracket that we're looking at. Okay. You've got $27,000 in average debt. Yep. 
you have rent, a, you have rent car. and a car. Now let's look at, you know, what this is going to cost you. Okay. At $15 an hour, you work 50 weeks a year. Okay. You have two weeks vacation. You're going to make 30 grand a year. Can't live in the city. Okay. Can't live in the city at 2180, 40 hour weeks, 50 weeks a year. You're going to make 43,600 bucks. You can't live in the city. Can't live in the city. What you basically need in order to live in Toronto is thirty-seven fifty an hour. Forty bucks. You need forty bucks an hour. Just what was the magic make... number I gave you? Yeah, I know. Forty that bucks. You need forty bucks an hour if you want to live in Toronto and you want to rent something for two grand. Now, here's the thing: most places in Toronto aren't two grand rent. You're generally looking at three grand to thirty-five hundred if you want some nice neighborhoods. You got a room. Yeah, yeah. But you're talking about a whole house yeah, here now. Exactly. So yeah, the, and, I got a couple customers. They're renting like a one bedroom yeah. with a living room, sixteen hundred. Yeah. You know, so that's going to net you at thirty-seven fifty. That's going to net you seventy-five grand a year. That's going to be sixty thousand after tax. You're going to go rent, insurance, food, gas. Oh, by the way, the fifteen and the twenty-one eighty weren't including food and gas. So you're you're really not living or in this saving city. for the or future. saving for the future. So at seventy-five k. You're going to be able to save for the future. You're going to be able to take a vacation. You're going to be able to spend about two grand in clothing, and you're going to be able to feed yourself for two hundred a week. For now. For now. Now inflation hits. Feed yourself for two hundred a week. Yeah. I mean, these days everybody's probably spending. A single person is spending more than two hundred bucks on groceries alone, let alone Uber. Buddy, and then, I don't know where you're shopping and what you're buying, but you're not buying anything. Yeah. For two hundred bucks, you can't buy a drink a for single, under ten dollars. A, a single person, single, single person, person, just going out and and mo- just grocery lifestyle. shopping, just taking care of your groceries for like a four day period, and then you got to go back again. So you're spending more than two hundred. So you're saying on those numbers, you have two hundred for food. Yeah. So you're so, not you're not eating the whole week. No, no, you're not eating the whole week. So then you know, and then there's going out and this and that and the next. So thing it's I amazing mean. that Mark finally shed some light on the reason why so many millennials that are getting into construction ask for the rate that they want at 40 bucks an hour. But the skills don't dictate what they're making because that's full journeyman rate. Oh, so I know that's what so, I'm saying. So, so they get denied so, by certain so, people. So let's, let's like, let's extrapolate that. Let's dive into that a little bit more. Okay. So like, let's say you're going to make 2180. All right. You don't have any skills. You're like, I'm just going to work. I'm going to go find a place and they're going to pay me 21. That's Amazon rate. You know that, eh? Is that? That's the starting rate at Amazon right so now. 21? 21, 21 and change. So, so then here's the thing though. When you actually click on Amazon, I might have clicked on Amazon. It goes to 17, 18. Does it really? Right away. And then there's allocation centers. So you might have to relocate if you want bonuses. And they, they have a marketing department. But that's also, be, that's before taxes yeah, that's too. Before, yeah, exactly. It's awful. So, so now, so, awful. You, so you have people who are like, you know what? I'm just going to like, why am I going to come and work at a trade and make only like 18 bucks an hour? When I can go to Amazon and I go, okay, so sure, let's, let's, let's do some comparisons here. Let's just pretend Amazon doesn't exist and let's just sort of base it on the fact that they're going to, you know. Yeah, but take that same teenager. Take that teen- teenager getting out of high school at 18 years old and getting into trades. Okay. Now those numbers. Yeah, so here's, here's, here's how it works and it's called exponential growth, <laughs> Okay. There's a book. Re- I'm going to read a book on it. Well, there's a gentleman named Warren Buffett that knows yep. all about that. Exponential yeah. growth. Okay. So let's talk about this. Let's say you get said job at 2180. 2% raise. Year two, you're making 2220. Year three, 2264. This is at 2%, by the way, which they are going to probably give you, but they might give you one. They might give you 1% because they they're not obligated for the two. And then you're you 20 do, years old now. And you're 20 years old now. 
Actually, at three years, you're making 2264. So actually, you're 21. So at 22, wow. 2309, 23. Uh, let's just say eight years go by. So you're 26. 26? At a big conglomerate like that, who's going to start you with 2% raise? You make 25 bucks an hour. Good for you. Thanks for the eight years of service. Appreciate you coming out. Now, let's go to trades. <laughs> okay. Trades start you off 18 bucks an hour. First year, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not opposed to raising my guy up to 20. So there, $2 raise. Boom. There if, you go. If, if he or she if, is, good, is good yeah. and been working with yeah. them, yeah. they're getting a raise yeah. sooner so than that. So here you go. 20. Okay. So I'll actually, I'll, I'll use my own experience. Okay. So I worked with the union when I first started in the historical field. When I started, it was 14 bucks, 14.65. Tax, union dues, all that taken off. Okay. After the first six months, I got bumped to 16. That's pretty good when you talk about percentages. Two buck raise, that's pretty good. Now I went from 16, I went to 18. No training yet. Just regular kind of work for a year. Okay, you get 18. Went to my first year of schooling. I got bumped to 22. That's a $4 raise. Okay. How old are you now? I am, that's two years in, I'm 20. Okay. 20 years old. Yeah, so right now at 20 years old, I'm on par for 21 at a big conglomerate. Then... I take my second year of schooling, I come out, I'm making 25. I'm now 21 making 25. Go to my third year, I'm making 28.30. You're 22 I'm years 22 old. 22 years old making 28 to 30 Almost bucks an hour. $30. Yeah. And then I keep working, I can work my way up to 35, then I can work my way into management. That hits me at 40, 45 an hour in the union. I'm only 25. But you're also talking about people working for someone yes and i'm glad you brought that up so all of a sudden i decide to say you know what i don't really like this political game of the union i'm gonna go i'm gonna roll my dice and guess what some days i make 50 an hour some days i make 30 an hour but i don't make below that and now i'm dictating my own rates and i started my company eight years ago at 25 so, and i've gotten to the point now where the way i actually view my my sort of structures every year my rates go up because that's one year less I have in my industry. That's one year less I have of earning power. And that's one more year of experience that I bring to the table. So with is my it clients. fair to say, Mark, that your first 10 years of construction, you're going to see this massive growth. Yep. But eventually it's going to taper off a tiny bit. Yep. And you're going to see smaller growth yep. when, when you're into your second decade of construction. And then it, you decide where you want to go from exactly. there. But there's also another reason for that. You want to be home more. Yes. You want to spend time with your wife and your yeah. family and your kids. Well, you delegate. You you're tire, also, you you're also tired. Mm. And yeah. your body can't take it anymore unless you're a schizo like me. And then what you do is you gauge your energy and then you also gauge it around the work that you're doing as well. Like there's certain jobs that I look at. When I first started, I was hungry. I went after everything. You, you eat everything, right? And then as you start to grow, like you kind of look and you go, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going but to you be do. very selective. You do from time to time. You hand it off to somebody else that's but, younger, man. Yeah. Or what you do is you charge something that you don't think they're going to go for, and then they go for it, and you're like, okay, well, I can't say no to that because that pays my rate and then some. And things open up. And the thing is, then that also comes with experience too. You learn how to gauge out your clients. You can't just go play that game with anybody. You need to just kind of like, okay, I'm busy. I know for sure I have this, and then maybe I'll make something here happen. 
and then you just kind of gauge. But again, that's a completely different thing. That's more business savvy. It's a no brainer when you go back and if you want to present these numbers to the teenagers, trades is a viable option. Well, when you talk working for somebody at an acquisition center or any type of warehouse, what I just mentioned to you is linear. It's yeah. linear growth. It's it's one plus one equals two, two, da, 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 da. What we're talking about when you talk about trades is you talk exponential. So you go one times one is two. Two times two is four. Four times four is 16. So why isn't 32. a guidance counselor telling this to because that Because they student? don't know. I don't know anybody who's actually broken these numbers down. I've always been curious about this. School hasn't but broken school this hasn't done. School it. hasn't done it. And the that. thing is that, I mean, I always, I was kind of back and forth on this one, but I always say, they teach parabolas, but they don't teach taxes. <laughs> and it's just kind of like if that's you, brilliant because I've always if, said they never like, taught you how to run a business properly. Yeah, exactly. And the and the thing is, like, small business is such a. I think really, after this last year, if the education system isn't looking about how they can integrate small business into high school, they've been blind for the last. But there two is years. that thought, like everyone's brought this up in the last five years, that high schools and any kind of education forum. They don't teach you these things because they want you to get out, not understanding how to financially secure yourself. They want you to be in debt. Or maybe it's a way that the wheel turns. I mean, I don't want to be that cynical, but realistically, if the guidance counselor maybe says, hey, if you go to trade school where they're going to pay for your education, they're going to pay for you when you go there. You're not going to have as much debt. You're not maybe going to pursue a secondary education or schooling, and you're going to end up in a better off position then maybe they don't incur that debt and maybe they're not doing their job by pushing them towards the university side of things. And again, I don't want to be that cynical. I want to believe I that. I want you to be. I want people to be far more stupid and ignorant than they are evil. That's what I want to believe. So me trying <laughs> to hire somebody, I won't hire anyone under 26 years old. I won't hire you. Why if, not? I won't hire you if you have kids, fresh new kids. Why if you, not? If you have kids under seven or eight years old, I will not hire you. Because you're calling in all the time. You don't want to come to work. There's always an excuse, and I can't run a business that way. You can't build off of that. And I, I, and I, I don't want to run that. my business that way. It sounds horrible, but this is my business, and I need to grow. But I think and I need someone that's going to come to work, you're to work. You're generalizing, man. Anyways, that's what I will not do. I won't hire anyone under 26 because they're a liability to me. They're dangerous to themselves. And there's dangerous to my business because one of the problems that we have when we're paying high insurance and our business going under is someone getting hurt or taking advantage of the system and screwing it up for us. So here's what I would maybe maybe change your perspective a little on that one because I hear what you're saying and I get that 100%. But wouldn't it be cool if there's a 24-year-old who wanted to challenge that well, norm? I was leading I was leading that. I was leading yeah. to that. So what you had said about the teachers not you know, doing their best for every student. And this is what I was leading to is the three of us are that one of a hundred kids that in their classroom, that teacher recognizes my teacher saw talent in me. He always took time to speak to me and guide me a little bit more. The rest of them were just coming in and out of school. You know, they weren't taking it seriously. They didn't want to really learn so, more than they had to. Here's a couple other angles that I'm going to come at this. First of all, I'll tell you, my, my math teacher, my grade 10 math teacher told me I would never amount to anything in my math career. You think she that was a push? That. or No, she meant it. 100%. And then I hit a 97 in the college <laughs> math, and then which was all trigonometry and trade, trade math. And I tossed it across her desk and I said, hey, 
what does that say? She said 97. I said, I guess I'm not amounting to anything, right? And I took it away from her. That was also me being <laughs> my grade 10 self and savage. And I, I shouldn't have done that looking back because that was a dick thing for me to do. But I don't think a teacher... No, but I, I think it was good but, to but do. But I, th- I don't think a teacher should be saying that to a student anyways. But here's here's the other thing. And, and I so I, I ran the numbers and I'm a big guy in psychology too because I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at these things and I'm like, it's so obvious and it's real. So I'm going, okay, if the numbers make sense... And they don't, and numbers don't lie. If the numbers make sense, why are we still running into what seems like an insurmountable mountain that we believe is a molehill? That's when I start diving into the psychology of what I think is, is, are the students of today. So here's, here's the thing. So let's talk about the brain for a quick second. Okay. Your brain, when you're born, smooth brain, right? What happens is as you develop, your neurons travel along these roads and that creates that sort of like swirly mass of gray matter that you now know. Now with trades guys, they probably have those inroads that where we use our hands, it tends to go along for and then like more. And then what happens is that ingrains deeper. So then what happens is it becomes instinctual, you know, like, you know, you grab the brick like this, you butter it, you throw it in the wall and, and so on and so forth. For me, I'm a bricklayer. You guys, it's different. This is why again, grade 10 and younger is so good. Because the older you get, the more the neurons travel along those things, the harder the brain becomes to shape. So when you're young, if you see a drill, you associate with the drill, and then that inroad happens. So then when you hit grade 10, when you hit these younger ages, like 14, 15, they're more impressionable. So you can like put something in them that they might not have instead of like a 25, 26 year old, which has just gotten it in his head that I'm worth 25 or 40 bucks an hour. Instead of proving it. Instead of proving it because he hasn't been given the work ethic to back that up because that neuron hasn't been traveled as much. And then next thing you know, he comes to you and doesn't see anything wrong with it. And you look at him like, buddy, I was making 25 an hour and I could do stuff. <laughs> but who taught him that? Well, I think what happens is I think that somewhere, somehow, they have everybody has in their head that they want to go to the city because that's where the money is. And the thing is they also look at it like, well – in order to get where I need to go, I need to make more money. But then it's like, I want to do, and I'm, I'm victim of this. Well, I'm victim of this too, is how do I make the most while doing the absolute less? One of my teacher professors down in Perth, when I, when I took the heritage masonry college course down there, which by the way, doesn't exist anymore. Don't get me started on that. Wow. Yeah. Well, we talked about that. Yeah. We talked about that. He said, Masons are inherently. And I, he looked at me and he pointed at me and I said, hardworking. And he goes, no, lazy (laughs) and he goes what you're trying to do as a mason is move as efficiently as possible and not lift heavy stuff that's what you should be thinking about instead of taking that 60 pound bag of concrete putting it on your shoulder and walking the 10 feet throw it in a wheelbarrow and walk with it work smarter not yeah exactly and the thing is nowadays with cordless tools and back braces and boots and gloves and all of the safety protective wear the construction worker of today will not work as hard as his forefathers did. No, of he just not. won't because yeah. we have like, I have a pair of pro timber lines. Those things are fantastic. The anti-fatigue sole, like I walk all day and my feet don't hurt. Like back in the day, it used to be like a leather shoe cobbler and then someone put the nails in. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. It's, it, you know, it's just, it's changed so no, much. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Exactly. And so their brains aren't as hard and they process information faster too. And I think that it's just a matter of, believing that they can process the information that you're telling them faster. And you need, and that was the other thing too. Teachers back in the day changed this tactic when we were coming up where they said, 
if you start in my class, most teachers, what they do is they start you at zero and then you build your way up. That's the way that they looked at the averages. So first day of class, you're at 0%. The way that the really good teachers taught is they said, you're at 100%. And then you work your way down. Backwards. They work your way backwards. So that's the thing is, I think the kids don't have as much belief in them. Because think about it, okay? What is their goal? I want to move out of my parents' house. I want to make a boatload of money. I want to have a lifestyle that I want to live. I want to be passionate about what I'm doing. And I want to like maybe own property at some point. I don't know if I already said that. When you look at the current state of affairs, their chances of owning a home on just a regular job, they can't. You talk about rent, man. Yeah. So you're going to be renting your whole life. You lose your aspirations. You, you, You are being consistently told that you are the scourge of like the working environment. You're lazy and like all this other stuff. And it and it's just like that would be depressing. Like if I grew up in that environment, like yeah, sure guys yelled at me on site, but nobody was ever sitting there going, "Housing prices jumped another 20% today. The chances of the youth o- like owning a home is like slim to none." And oh, and by the way, you're going to be riddled with tons of future debt and other people's debt oh, and, and, and all taxes. The, and taxes no one's and inflation talking about- and and, and then let's also and then let's also put into the mix this random thing of a of a fucking pandemic we just went through as well, which has probably messed a lot of kids up mentally and taken a lot of ones that did have a drive has taken that away from them because they've lost a year of schooling. I, and, and again, this is going to go back to the parents. They're so scared that they're not allowing their kids out. They're not, you know, kids aren't being social. The co-op program is gone. Like you said, that really connected me with working. For me, I kind of look at it like it's a massive missed opportunity because the thing is, outside was safe, right? So why didn't you just run a co-op program, talk to a builder? He could have probably used the help and just say, okay, masking gloves, you guys, and here, you can go work here. Again, lots of red tape, and there's probably a bunch of politics that we don't know about. But again, when you're looking at the tidal wave, and it's coming, and it's going to cause a massive disruption in your economy... Do you not think it maybe makes sense to start shipping out some plywood and nails so that people can cover themselves or at least give them some direction as to where they could go for higher ground? Is it true that OEP gets 50 million a year? I don't know. I think when we uh, I think when I talked to the STC or I think your podcast the guy men- mentioned something like that that they get that amount of money. And the cre- and here's the other thing too and this is something that I I also learned when I was talking with Monty is I look at my life as construction is life. Like that is my world. Like I've kind of put my horse blinders on a little bit to that. I've I've picked my lane. I choose that lane. I go with that lane. Monty also has to deal with the nurses union. He has to deal with all labor heads and labor boards. So construction, when you look at it, is only really, like we said before, it's like 20% of the economy, which isn't a lot. However, when you're looking at a 40% reduction possibly in the next five to 10 years. Is that what, the, is that what the number is? He, well, when I was talking with him, I, again, don't quote me on this. I'd have to redo the soundbite. But when I said, you know, like I projected at around 20%, he gave me a higher number. 
Let's just put it that way. Like in the uh, next five years. In the next five to ten years, yeah. It's and that number is based off of what tradespeople retiring or people tradespeople getting out of the business. Well, I don't know if you guys ever did the bell curve research back in school, where the baby boomers and the population index and how what's happening is all the stuff from the bottom is coming to the top. Yeah. And now there's this massive push for healthcare because all of a sudden, and that was one of the things when I was coming up, is they were like, well, if you're not going to get into nursing, you should probably get into a trade because the thing is, these guys, the bell curve getting top heavy and then that's what causes the population to to decrease and the thing is then there's going to be transfer of wealth and money but then there's also going to be massive shortages when it comes to labor force and then do you bring in the immigration well you can but the thing is doctors and dentists are being trained as laborers they're they're meant for just different things but that's a whole nother thing i don't want to necessarily get into but what i I, do but what i'm looking at is i'm kind of looking at it and going if you're already telling us the population is top heavy up here for the ages that people are, are you know, working till and, and they're going to all be going on that, who's going to be paying the taxes to deal with the pensions? Who's going to be dealing with this? And then on top of that, like we said before, with those given numbers, if you have a bunch of people working in factories making only certain amounts of money. And the thing is, too, when you work in massive conglomerates like that, one thing we did not we didn't talk about is the ceiling. One of the things that I love about the construction industry, there is no ceiling. The ceiling is dictated by the clients that you work for. You yeah, know? it's true. You got to yeah. find the clients. You find the clients. The thing is, like, like I've probably, I don't mean to brag. There's people who are more successful than me. But I know for my age, I've been handed checks that I know some people in the area that I'm in will never see those numbers in their life. That they just won't. But maybe they're not hungry. That why. That's why you got all these people or, that are factory workers, and they're just not hungry. They exactly. just want to punch a clock. Yeah, and and I'm not saying that we don't need them, but I'm just saying that if the fallback for people is those types of jobs, well, then what you're also going to be dealing with is you're going to be with low income economies. Like the thing is, like if like you can only make so much as a barista at Starbucks. You can only make so much as a acquisitions or a package picker. I, I looked at the tiers, different levels. And basically, once you get to tier three, you're going to make like, I don't know, I think it was like anywhere from 28 to 34 bucks an hour. And then you better be really good at your job. And then anything above that is management. And so you're going to need some schooling. And then you're going to need software engineer if you want to make, you know, the 73,000 and then tier five and tier six. If you want to make 120 to 170,000, which by the way, 120, 170,000, I don't mind telling you this, but in construction, those are kind of low numbers. It's and you, true. And, and you can make off of those numbers alone. If you are if you have a small little company and you're making 120, 170 and your stress is low and you're taking time off. I want to ask you guys, both of you, what are the top five reasons why a person will not get into construction? I will say that it's their misconception that it's really, really hard work and that there's no potential in it. I really believe that because the thing is, if if you if you say, okay, take the word construction away, we're going to pay for your training. We're going to pay for your schooling. You're going to get a job. Okay. You're going to get working. You're going to earn and not be indebted. And on top of that as well, there's incentive programs where we give you, we just throw money at you. All the stuff, all the equipment that you need will be paid for in some way, shape or form. And then if you get on with a really big conglomerate, they'll give you benefits. I didn't say construction once, but that's what it is for us. Well, hang on, because I've got my top one reason why I think someone does not want to get into construction. I want to get it from you guys. What are the top five reasons that someone would not get into construction? 
I think uh, definitely let's just knock the first one off, which we've been talking about the whole time is money. Money's the number one devil of this whole industry. You know, when you say money, you mean that your your money expectation people don't realize that the, the money is there. Like you're, you, we've proven that the money is there. The yeah. money is definitely there, but we have problems now. So the government's not giving out permits. Uh, jobs aren't opening up. They're shutting down job sites all over the place. So really, work is slowing down right now. I know at least three thousand people out of work right now. That I know amongst the union businesses. These guys are already home. They usually go home around December. Mm. And now they're out of work. Last year, during this COVID, they were done for seven, eight months. Mm. There's a lot of people not working. So if they're not working, they can't create jobs for us. So they can't do the maintenance in their homes. They can't pay for construction. So These are want, problems, I right? I just want to get to the top five, man. <laughs> just like I want to get... Because here's the top one. It takes one bad client to fuck you over sue so you true. and bury you. Yep. Yeah. And that primarily happens in construction. Yes. Every it doesn't job. happen as a barista. Nope. You can scold somebody. Oh, well, I'm so sorry that you're latte. You can do that, but you're not going to get sued personally for it. Yeah. You're not going to get attacked by a client who's fucking an asshole wants to come after you. The biggest thing that I've heard from speaking to so many people in the construction industry, sure, we can make all this money, we can build a life, we can build a family, we can build a brand, we can do all this other shit, but it takes one bad client to really screw you over for the same amount and probably just bury you. And I think that fear prevents a lot of people from getting into I think that's one of the fears. That's one of the fears. And and I and I think that where you're coming from it is is the more of the business owner standpoint yes. that you, you think that the, eventually the kid will want to get into that side because that is honestly where a lot of the profit is made. And that's also where most of your time is your own at that point. As because, a GC, uh, yeah. we're always the one that's being left holding the bag at the I, end. I, I mean I mean the joke is the joke is I had a I had a guy tell me I'm gonna start becoming a GC because I want to make my own schedule. And inside I was dying laughing because I was like, that's not what it is at all. What happens is you get money hungry and then you just fill it and then yeah. you keep filling it and then you see it and then you go, Oh, you know, I'll take next month off. And that next month comes and you don't take it you're off. You're consumed. Like, no, and you're working 18 hours a day. Exactly. You're consumed. Yeah. And, and the thing, and the thing is, I think you work 18 hours a day when you own your own business, regardless of whether or not it's physical, mental, or actually doing it. Invoices and estimates. You could put 40 hours a week just Easily. doing that. Well, the thing is sometimes, like, like I don't mind telling you, sometimes when I'm, I'm really stressed out, it's because I'm falling behind on my paperwork. I'm falling behind on, you know, certain aspects. I'm not as active as I should be on Instagram. I'm not posting, you know, those types of things. Because that is an aspect of the business. It's not something I rely heavily on, but... I do like interacting and sometimes it's a nice boost to know that like I'm not alone in the world. Um, We're all so, in the same boat. Yeah. And I, 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 I go back to, okay, so that's one reason for, for not getting into trades. But I go back to, can one tradesperson actually change the fucking industry? They can't. You need a collective to do it. And I look at the influencers out there and nobody is fucking doing anything. I'm I'll, sorry, but you know, nobody and, isn't. And, and I, I was thinking about this last night. So I'm going to bring up the, the Lord of the Rings. Okay. Okay. Frodo's sitting there and he's like, I will do it, but I do not know the way. And then they band together and then they're like the fellowship, right? There was fucking massive kingdoms that could have came and just fucking gone to the mountain and just tossed the ring in and done all that shit, but they didn't. So it's a very similar, it's a very similar story when you look at construction is you need somebody to get in there to say, listen, like it, and unfortunately it's going to be one person carrying the torch 
they're going to drop it. And then he hopefully has somebody else who's going to come and pick that up. So what I'm seeing a lot of is my friends are too busy to spend time with their kids. But all their complaints are is my kids are on the computer all the time. They're playing video games all the time. And they're smoking pot all the time. Mm -hmm. So all these kids are now doing drugs all the time, burning out. Doing nothing. But to so add, there's no motivation. So to segue off of that, it kind of goes back. But the thing is, where where would their motivation come from? There's a there's a saying that Jordan Peterson has as he goes, the question you shouldn't be asking is why people, oh, I, I hope I don't screw this up. I might screw this up. So the way that it goes is, is not why you shouldn't do drugs, but why you aren't doing drugs all the time. <laughs> like that's that's his concept that's his concept right yeah. is it's like okay so here's a generation you're not going to own a house you're going to be indebted by the way the whole linear sequence of elementary high school university has been ingrained for hundreds of thousands of years like the first university i just looked it up is university of bologna which is in italy italy yeah 1080 that's the first accredited university before that education hmm. was for the elite i've been there yeah, the education was for the elites. And that's and history. <laughs> and education was for the elites. Black letter learning. This is the type of stuff that they were doing all the time, right? And now what you have is you have present day where everybody's pretty much literate. The black letter learning isn't happening as much. There's not as much of a push on it anymore because everybody has it. I can read and write. Manny, you can read and write. Carlito, not too sure. But <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. Thanks. I had. But you have access to get all this knowledge exactly. at your fingertips. And so now let's let's extrapolate that even more. So now one thing is, I don't know if the education system of today is catching up with it's not that with the the future of today because what's happening is the systems haven't changed so you're giving people the same education expecting the same result but now what happens is the markets are saturated with everybody who has a similar education and realistically companies are hiring based on personality so segueing that into the trades i think they should always should have been so so now though segue that into something else where i know when my dad was coming up BMO, TD, and uh, Bank of Montreal, CIBC, what they used to do is they used to recruit right out of the uh, high school. They used to go, is that guy good with numbers? Yeah, you're coming with me. You want a job? Here you go. They don't do that anymore. anymore. It doesn't happen. It could happen, but it doesn't happen because market saturated. We don't need any more bankers. We don't need this. You need an MBA. You need this. You need that. Where I'm kind of going with all of this right now is I'm basically saying that like, Look at your options. If you're an 18-year-old and you don't know if university is right for you, look at the options. Because the thing is, there's huge grants for mature students, especially mature students with dependents. Maybe it's not a linear thing for you. Maybe what you do is you do this. You go, okay, I like to work with my hands. There's no college or university program for that. I'm going to get into the trades or I'm going to go work construction. I'm going to make some money. Because you can make money. We've already established you can make money. What do you do? You go... You have to wake up early. You have to have an ironclad work ethic. You have to all of a sudden, now you're taking on responsibilities for the job. Now you're starting to learn people skills because we're volatile individuals. You start learning a bunch of personality traits. You learn, okay, if this guy's going to lose his head, I can go over here. You start learning how to multitask because the thing is when the tilers show up, this is going to happen on this job site. We can't hardwood floor because they're going to be doing this. You start planning all that. Keep your eyes open, your mouth shut, and you just kind of look at what's going on. You're going to start developing into a different kind of being, a different kind of person. And then what you can do is you can say, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. I've been doing this now for like two, three years. You're what, 20, 21? There's a saying, 
Youth is wasted on the young. So now you're 20, 21. You're sitting there. You haven't incurred twenty, thirty thousand dollars in debt, which maybe your parents are making you feel guilty of. Maybe you saved up for it. Okay. Maybe that happened too. But let's say you didn't, and your parents are pulling from the RESP, right? And now you feel dis like you're disappointing them because you're like, oh, I'm not going directly there. But the thing is. Now, if you decide, okay, at 21, 22, I want to go back because I've seen the other side. Now you have all these people skills. You go into a classroom. You start learning how to sort of interact with other people. Then you get interviewed for a job. You have two years on your peers. They're going to look at you. Now they can work for Carlito because they're past the 24, 20, 25 mark, right? You got to change that, by the way. Eh? Or, no. Yes, you do. No, you no, run your no business. Need, I'll run no mine. No one needs is. Do you have anyone under 26 years old? Yes. Who? Omid. Flo. Totally different animal here, man. Why? Totally different animals. They're, they're under 26. They're totally in different animals, and they're not your employees. No, they're They're subs. company owners. Yeah, they're subs. So we're talking about a different... And you mentioned this right from the beginning. One of the, one of the first things he said about his story about himself was that the guy that taught him said... Shut up and learn. You don't know anything. I know, but you and can't the say is, that everybody's to generation. Too, you got to. No, but you what you can do... We're tippy-toeing around everybody, and we're pampering them. No. And we're babying them. I agree. However, it doesn't need to be as aggressive as what happened to me. It can be what Jalen yeah. did, which is he took his guy aside, and he says, Listen, no, let, me be, let me be straight with you here. No one wants to work with you. You think you know everything... No one wants to work with you. He doesn't have to yell. He can whisper it. Yep. No, one, no one wants to work with you. <laughs> right? How devastating <laughs> is that? Do you think me throwing a brick and saying, no, I want That'll to That'll wake you no. up. That'll you, wake you up. If you turn to somebody and go, listen, listen to me very closely. I'm going to whisper this. No one wants to work with you. They're going to be shattered. <laughs> They're going to be a puddle on the floor. And construction's and, a collaborative let, effort, man. So, so one thing I want to get straight. We don't have much time to to put in a lot of detail in here, so I'm being very raw. Oh yeah. But I spend a lot of time with I've spent a lot of time with thousands of teenagers and youngsters, and I've spent most of my life teaching people mm. and trying to give them what I never in, had. In all fairness, what I never and had. What I respect about you, Carlito, is in all fairness, is that you've given military vets an opportunity, you've given homeless people opportunities, you've yeah. given all kinds of people that a lot of people would not give opportunities to. So I respect that you see all that. And so But here I we have to that. be raw. Yeah. Like we gotta get down to the facts. I, I think also a start is like like I said before, if you have an MBA or if you have a higher education, you don't go into Rogers the first day and say, I run this place now. You, you don't do that. But they do it in construction. And that's what I mean, right? And so I think that that is a, a big thing for the younger listeners is like, Honestly, like I'm even sitting here right now, like, tell, like I'll, I'll be straight with you guys. There are masonry companies right now I am reaching out to. And I am saying, I will trade time for knowledge. I will come out. But you're willing come, to do that. And, and but you know, you're, you're yeah, a unicorn. Yeah, I know. That's but, what but I'm the saying. Thing, but the thing is, if I wish I did that when I was 20, I wish I did that when I was 22. And that's the beauty of Instagram right now is I can reach out to these guys and I say, I have a skill set. This is what it is. Okay, it may or may not work for you guys. I want to come out, try me out for a day. I don't need anything for it. I just want to see how you are. I want to see how I am. I want to see if it works. And by the way, you could take that same scenario, be a 26-year-old coming out with an MBA or, or something in, in an accounting field, and I bet that if you approach a bank, a 
venture capitalist firm and you go, try me out for a week. I'll come out for one week. You show me the ropes. I learn your company. And then at the end of the week, we sit down, we have a meeting and we talk about worth and we talk about all that. What do you think? They will take that. They will take, cause they'll go, okay, there's a guy who knows what he wants. There's a guy who wants to work and he doesn't care. And the thing is, some people will exploit you, but you'll have to know enough of your self-worth at that point to be like, okay, you know what? You guys are taking advantage of me. Are you really taking advantage Have you had someone do that? Carlito, have you had someone do that? Too? Because I've never had someone do that. No. Anybody has approached me to work for me. No. They just started. We discussed the rate, and then we got started, and it was a year and a by the end of the week or end of the day and the hour. My experience with hiring uh, this year was a 25-year-old, and best things about him were he showed up. <laughs> He showed up. <laughs> he showed up on time. He was generally pretty early. But here's the, here's the crazy thing, okay? So he came to work with me. I said, okay, this is what I want to start you at. I want to start you at 2022. He looked at me and he went, he went I need Leave 25. <laughs> he went, I, he goes, I, want, I need 25. And I said, okay. I said, for 25 bucks an hour, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to let you work with us for three weeks. Three weeks. In three weeks, I expect you to be able to use the quick cut efficiently with nobody watching over top of you. You need to be able to mix and stay ahead of the guys. And you need to be consistent in your mixing. Because that's what I need. And if you can't be there, if you cannot do that, then you're gone. Like, I, I, can't, I can't keep you. How and was he? Watching him use a quick cut was like Bambi on ice, unfortunately. <laughs> put, no, honestly. Like, he was scared. Like, He's like, scared. Yeah, well, the thing is, the crazy thing is, as I asked mom. him, I said, he was an ex-landscaper, and I said, hey, listen, uh, have you used a quick I cut before? I think he said it right, X. Yeah, and, and, and I asked him, I said, have you used a quick cut before? He goes, yeah. And I said, okay, go over there, make a mark, cut that stone. He goes, okay. And, the, and just off the stance, I was like, whoa. I was like, this guy's going to mess this fucking stone up. And sure enough, he puts a hook in it one way, takes the saw, goes to cut it back, puts a separate line in it. And I look at him and I go, okay, see that stone? Yeah. I go, those lines aren't straight, are they? He goes, no. And I was like, well, at least you're honest. <laughs> and I go, you don't know how to use a quick cut, do you? And he goes, no. And I said, why did you why tell did you me say? that? He, I said, because now you've ruined a stone. Now I have to go get another stone. Now you're costing me more than what you're worth. At the end of it all, this is, this is a crazy thing. I showed him how to joint. He was, he was good when I wanted him to get me stuff. I was just like, okay, go get this. And it was good for me too because I could start delegating, right? So I delegated and he was good. And then I took him beside me. And by the way, he was with us like a week and a half. And I had him on the on a brick job doing our joints, pulling our joints. By the wow, way. Wow, that's pretty yeah, good, man. And here's the thing. Usually Here, a couple of years on the mortar. That's the thing is he didn't realize what I was giving him at that point. It was like, hey, listen, man, here's a uh, jointer. Come next to me. I'm going to show you. Okay, you pull the joints like this. Heads, beds, heads, beds. Okay? And you do it because of this. This is why. Because if you do that and you look up, there's a hole. I said, so this is what you do. Then rub it with the carpet. Okay? Done? Good? Here it is. And he did it. And I was like, I was happy. Because I'm like, this is what happens. You pull joints. You get ahead of us. We start showing you how to lay brick. I will teach you how to lay. If you come out and work with me, I will literally tell you and show you how to lay brick. Within the first two months, I will do that. That is unheard of in the masonry trade. It's true. They don't let you even close to the wall. They won't even let you sit up on the scaffold with you. They'll throw stuff at you before they do that. Yeah. And but the thing is, is I'm going, I'm going. There's you no, working with Portuguese guys. <laughs> but the, but then unfortunately, what happened is 
I tried, I told him, you got to give us a month. I'm going to put you on payroll. Give us a month. We had a week of rain. You can't lay in the rain. The shop was clean. Everything was done. And then he came back. I took him on, on a small job. We didn't need three guys. I called him back in. I said, listen, we'll get you in. We'll start. It's a little job, whatever. And he told me, Hey, I'm going to go try my luck with the union. He's like, I got a guy who's going to do that and all this stuff. And I said, okay. I said, that's totally fine. But I feel kind of slighted because you told me that you stick around and you didn't stick around. And it is what it is. And the thing is, it's a meat market. That's the thing. And, 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 yeah, I, and I realized right. that really, really, uh, really quickly. Honestly, now I'm, I'm kind of looking at it and I'm going, I got me. I got another guy that I work with every once in a while. And, um, and, and we smash things out together. And the dynamic is really good. And it would be great if we had one other guy to join us. But I, I don't think they realize how hard it is for us to keep them employed. No, they don't realize how much time we have to make. We have to take on more jobs, keep it in, keep it on time schedules. We have to make money for them and for us and for the company. They don't, they don't worry about insurance. They don't want to worry about fuel, repairing tools, all those little things, man, that make a business. Does this discourage you or what? Like when you, uh, Carlito and I have been through this well, so many times. It, it, I've been through so many young guys that. It discourages me. So man. I actually just changed my mindset on discouragement. Okay, <laughs> to past, what? To this past week. So there's a couple things. I heard of a landscape company that was having trouble finding guys. So what they did is they just outfitted their whole fleet with GPS tracking and GPS like overhead. So they're a landscape company. And what they do is they have it attached to all their diggers and everything now, which is like 50K. But now they don't need guys sitting there with a stick because, hmm. because they don't have. And see, that's what's going to happen is we're just going to get smarter. Well, AI's and, and, coming too. And, yeah, but we're going to get smarter. And now two guys that could have been employed aren't going to be employed anymore because that's what's going to happen is you're going to have things that are becoming more automated. So now you're going to need less people. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like, well, we heard construction was really good to get into. Yeah, it was until this came along, this technology came along and it made your job obsolete. Let's look at the future. Let's say that we do not replenish the work floors. Yep. Let's say that we lose that 30% of the industry yep. and we don't replenish it. Yep. What's that going to look like Prices for us? are going to go through the absolute roof. They already are. But clients are like nitpicking us, man. Well, the thing is, though, the client, some clients are. But the thing is, I really do believe in more regulation in the industry. I think that really needs to happen. I think that, I think um, Stu from Brawley yeah. said that back in England, because everybody's trained the same, the prices are the same across the board. So it yeah. doesn't matter if they get Manny to do it or something like that. The only difference is the style in which you do things. Yes, That's about it. And I think that that, because then the product is, the end result is the same. It's going to be the same order, same mix, same bond, same everything. But you were like saying just before the mics that you were saying you, had, you were competing on a quote. And the other person was coming in dramatically less. You, you couldn't fathom how the numbers were getting that low, but yet you had a client entertaining that other quote and not going to hire you. Yeah. And the thing is, at the end of the day, call I'll, back. I'll, well, that's the thing. And all I can do is just run numbers. But again, the issue with that one, it was like a referral of a referral. So the guy I was dealing with wasn't the, the direct client because when a client comes back to me and says, I got numbers that are half, I go, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. Or I go, okay, you have numbers that are half, but let me tell you what, what we're bringing to the table. And then I kind of reiterate a few things. And if they're like, okay, know what, like 
still it's 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 half price it's like okay so if it was half price i don't even get into that these days what i do is i've actually insulated myself where i give them a ballpark if they like that number then i go forward with a formal quote and as soon as that formal quote hits the deposit comes as soon as the money changes hand it's very hard to shop me the deposit first and then yeah, the quote. exactly and that's what i do and the thing but we were talking about this before the way you shoot yourself in the foot with that one is with this past year with the prices rising i have to honor the quote now so i can't go back to the well and be like well oh, you can you put know, a stipulation in there and a lot of people everybody are, but, understands but that. again with us the way that we used to do it is i was booked like six to eight months out this year easily and and i didn't even i didn't even bat an eye but then all of a sudden the price increases kept on happening and then what also happened too is i couldn't even get certain things i had to drive to toronto for bricks that i couldn't get in hamilton <laughs> really this last yeah this last job i just did i've never seen that and that's but are you factoring that into your business now because your quote you have to consume your time and the gas going further to get what you need to get well now what we do is uh my daily rate goes up my daily rate's already gone up and so it doesn't matter what it is if i'm there for two hours three hours it's a day my daily rate is x and then it's like it's my daily rate plus materials now i was having a conversation with a couple of youngins in the industry different trades i know that on the show the student and i'm uh, thank you so much for listening i, I just posted that show this morning by the way mm. i just it's nice that people listen to the show <laughs> right away. And, uh, and Stu that brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, I had three, uh, three trades there, including myself. And we all talked about how we want to try We want to get a thousand bucks a day Yeah. for our daily rate. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, but I know, no, no. So I'm getting back to the, yeah, you can explain what that thousand dollars covers. No, no, no. I'm not explaining what that thousand dollar covers is that sure. It's, it's agreeable to ask for that thousand dollars. But I think in all fairness, those are those really great educated clients that when you present your scope and you present why you should be hiring me and you say my rate is $1,000, they'll respect that and they'll hire you. But that's not every single job. No. You, if you're making $1,000 a day and you work five days a week, you're making some serious cake at that point. Yeah, and it doesn't happen But that's happen not every that job. And, and I think that's on the high end. So so I again I think you were we're talking about when you run the ship. Yeah. And what we're what we're dancing around I think is if we're talking to young 16 to 18 year olds getting into the trades, we're seeing the transition from tradesman to businessman to entrepreneur is it's not as big a leap. There's a lot of learning that needs like don't get me wrong, it's not easy. But if you decided to say, you know what, I'm going to go roll the dice and do this by myself, there's going to be learning for probably the first five years. Oh, for sure. But if you love what you do and you're passionate about it and you don't mind going to work every day, then you will end up being in that $1,000 a day category. What I fret for for these young guys is they don't have the business savvy to handle running the business. You may think... You're making lots of money because you're just booking and booking and booking and you're doing jobs. But then let's say you hire a person and he fucks up that stone. You hire somebody else and they fuck up something else. And now you have to start factoring it. I have to replace that stone. I have to fix that. I have to go pick up that. All of a sudden, your $1,000 a day is dropping down to $400 a day. So your profit margin is shrinking. Not only that, your customer hasn't paid you yet and there's a big chunk overdue. But you can't collect that until you get that done. Look at us sitting here talking one-year university business class. 
<laughs> no, that's, that's exactly but, like, that's exactly like, like, it. And but the thing is, we're coming at it from like a real life. This is my money skin in the game concept. But I, again, I'm saying, you know, if, if parents are like, get into business, get into finance, do this. You run a small business, you are going to learn quick. All of this stuff. And the thing is, you're going to learn at your own detriment. Are you so going to sink? Go, yeah, or you're going to sink. And I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, though, is that you learn. A lot of entrepreneurs that you follow online and you see, they fail a hundred times before they actually hit that one out of the park. And they talk about that all the time. And the thing is, stop focusing on the good. Start focusing on the bad of the success stories. But hang on a sec. So, okay, I know that we're all entrepreneurs, right? We can't fail a hundred times. No. We can't. No. We can't even afford to fail once. No. You can afford possibly to fail once and recover from it, but you can't fail. Like I, I get that a lot of people in the construction industry are saying that I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a self-made business person, and I'm starting a business, and I got a passion, and I'll do all this other shit. But the thing is, you can't afford what these other have the like the royalty to do it. You can't afford it when you're running your own ship and you're older. Yeah. But when you're 18... And you're you can working make those for mistakes, somebody else. For sure you can. And that's why it's so important for the youth and youth is wasted on the young. That is why. Because if you have an 18-year-old and he fucks up that stone, yeah, you're pissed. But then he's going to learn and then he doesn't do that the next time. And then when he goes and starts his own thing, he's kind of fucked up on your back and you just hope that it minimizes it. But at the end of the day, they're learning way more. And that's the thing is like those transferable skills, that learning, we need as construction workers, I think we owe it to the younger generation to sort of inspire them is to show them what the transferable skills of this industry are and how they revolve, how they sort of evolve into other industries. Because I, how many, um, how many construction worker guys do you know that go into like project management? Oh, lots of guys. How many guys go into just management? Yeah. How many guys, sometimes they go, they, they go into service. They do completely different things. They, they turn on a dime. How many accounts get into construction? Like, well, listen, I'm, I'm dealing right now. I'm, I'm not going to say the company because yeah. I'm not allowed to. I signed a paper for it. <laughs> Basically saying <laughs> no names. But uh, all the guys coming out of university are construction coordinators yep. for these projects. Yep. They are fucking stupid, failing all across the board, callbacks, like we're stopping work. I'm, you lose money every time something's not there on schedule, mistakes. Because anything, it's a complete organization across the board because, because they just don't have the hands on to understand the theory. And to go off of that point, my uh, wife's cousin is a civil engineer and he has told me on multiple occasions he believes every single C-Eng, any type of engineering, you should do at least a year in the field so you understand. Yeah. Because the thing is, he will tell you the first year you're looking at drawings and overhangs and load bearing and this and that. You don't know what the fuck you're looking at. Sometimes I don't even know what the fuck I'm looking at when I'm looking at drawings. But then I'm like, okay, now it all starts to kind of blend together. Okay, I get what they're doing there. Okay, so so that's going to hold this load and that goes to the second. Okay, all right. And then you look at the floor plans and then it all comes together. But that didn't happen overnight. And that didn't happen in a classroom. That's me scanning through like lots and lots of drawings, hand drafting, doing all that, doing all that legwork. Like I said, with the, with the project, with the construction management uh, or construction coordinators, where, where I have ran into guys is I was doing a job and 
he was trying to tell us that we were like it, it was something very minuscule but he was right and we were wrong and we were fixing it whatever it was i think it was like a three millimeter out or something like it's that. nothing yeah it. right right three mils yeah. but the thing is to this guy it was the end of the world because but nothing's he was, that realistic because he was new okay and then i asked him i said hey I said, you're with these guys, right? He goes, yeah. I go, what did you do before this? He goes, oh, I used to coordinate, project coordinate a hospital. I was like, and I said, but how did you get from running nurses' schedules to organizing a construction site? Oh, they're pretty much the same. I was like, no, they're fucking not. And that was the thing is is that the, the schooling, again, I, I, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot because I, I have gone through it. Okay, but the stuff I went through was very specified in what I wanted. But you can't just take it all, put it in a box, and do a linear sequence of events. That's why I'm saying it would be so good if guys just kind of got into the trades and then learned sort of the social skills that you need to do. Like, like how many construction workers do you know that don't know how to talk to clients? Oh, exactly. Listen, <laughs> this has been a great show, Mark, where you've brought up so many points, and I think that you've you've shown. Getting in trades makes a lot of sense. It makes the most sense. It makes sense. a lot of sense from the time you're in grade 10 all the way getting into it and then starting a career path down. And everyone that knows me knows that since day one of me being in construction, I've never considered this a job. I've always considered it a career. That's just how I look at it, and that's how a majority of us look at it, but clients don't. What I have a big problem with is a lot of tradespeople reach out to me. And speaking of which, Sean Taggy is still trying to get a hold of you. I was checking that out. Well, he sent you a DM, yeah. so it's somewhere I don't we'll know go where over it is. We can figure that out, right? Because he wants to reach out. He's got questions to ask We talked you. last week. And, and he just sent me some texts on my way here, and I haven't gotten back to him, and I feel bad. But, Sean, I'll get back to you. You're probably going to listen to this when I post this, right? But I've spoken to so many tradespeople. Depending on how long they've been in the industry, some have lost millions of dollars. Some have lost tens of thousands of dollars, but that's the range. And these are monies that have not been paid because they've been screwed over by clients, by suppliers, by GCs, by other people. So it's like either a tradesperson getting screwed over by a GC, it's a GC getting screwed over by a client. This, I just want anybody that's going to get into construction, this is a reality. You can have the perfect client and that perfect client could fuck you over. And that fuck over can ruin you. So you can have all the people skills you want, but for whatever reason, clients, I blame clients because they still look at us as grunts and they still look at us that the service that we provide and the skill set that we put into their homes or their businesses does not have the value that we put on it. And that's where it has to begin to change. Everybody's all flashy on Instagram. Look at me here. Look at me there and all this other shit. But clients still look at us as monkeys. They do. I don't care. We don't get If we're in a room with a doctor, an accountant, a lawyer, a musician, a tradesperson, we're the last person being picked on the team. That's just how people in general do. We're losing our labor shortage. I get it. I understand. We're going to have the opportunity to increase our rates through the roof. Those clients are going to get you to come out and give you a price, but they're still going to find job, business, ABC, I'm going to hire them instead of you because they're half the price of you and it doesn't matter if it's going to be a fucking nightmare because a so-and-so recommended them. 
What I'm pissed off about is that nobody in social media land is doing fuck all about it. Nobody on TV is doing fuck all about it. It's refreshing to hear that Monty is passionate about doing something. But it's all going to start with us yep. just doing it for ourselves. Yep. And then if you do get a client that says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pay that, walk the fuck away. Because that client will be your client that will fuck you over. Mm. And then you're going to be a part of that group. Because I guarantee you, and I've said this before, you will get fucked over at least once if you stay long enough in this industry. And then this is where I come. What's more, what's getting fucked over more? Are you losing a couple of bucks here and there and having some really hard life lessons? Will, or looking at your life and not realizing that you didn't do more than what you should have. And that's on the philosophical side, and that's something that we take advantage of. It depends on the it, numbers. Let's exactly. say, let's, let's get realistic numbers here. Let's say a client wants to fuck you over for 100K. Yeah. That's not a few dollars. That's no. a, it's a life lesson. But that 100K, you're already struggling. We yeah. talked about how but, you have to be making... What you gonna say something? No, but if you get take it for hundred hundred grand, you need another hundred grand to win that money back. Yep. So, so that's two hundred grand you're, now. You're already starting. And then what happens is that these clients, sure, you're building their dream home. It's really easy for the clients to look at everything. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want all this shit and all this skill set that you provide. And we know what it costs to run a business. We know what it costs to earn a living. We know what it costs to take care of our groceries and our mortgage payment and our expenses, our business expenses, our personal. How many insurances do you fucking have? I've got Dude. five fucking and, insurances, man. And how much? Man. You can't so, get insurance anymore so, for under two mil. So you got, so you got all this stuff. All, and, and I just want that. It starts with the industry standing up against clients that are comparing us to cash contractors. To fly by night under the table, assholes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what I don't want to compare myself. So the moment that if you speak to a client, ask them. Have the balls, pull them right out, and just go, are you comparing me to another legitimate bricklayer, carpenter, finished tiler? Are you comparing me to one that has all the insurances there? Are you comparing me to do all this stuff? If not, if you've got a monkey that you're getting a cash price for, then I'm not interested in this job. And again, something that he mentioned is they are going to be pushing for more regulation in the industry, and that's the only way that we You, you know how you them. solve that? Tell Monty right now. This is how you solve it. Get rid of the fucking HST. That's it. Every client that you do a job, everybody talks about a $100,000 rental. Mm. That's $13,000 in Ontario that mm -hmm. the clients have to pay that they don't want to pay that they're going to use that number to fuck you over with at the end. How about this? 13% for WSIB. Yeah. We're at Those 26, are roofers and we're concrete. 26% yes. already. Then let's talk about taxes. Minimum 35%. Where are you at? You're already above 50. You're between 60 and 65. So and that's he, without paying your here's, accountant, here's your all, insurance, your gas. Overhead, right? The, the, the unfortunate is that you pay a shitload of WSIB. Oh, yeah. Right? It's, when we started, it was 17%. What was that? That's not My fair. My WSIB. That's not fair. When we, what high risk are you doing? Oh no, seventeen percent. So, That's yeah, crazy. We, we were sixteen point eight, and the and we were just under Dynamo Explosion guys. Dem demolition and high. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding no, me? No, no. It literally went the the classification went Dynamo Explosions and Mining Masonry. So it what? was it was yeah. Evil Knievel and Bricklayer. Yeah. I did high rise window <laughs> cleaning. I needed twenty. I needed twelve million dollars to work high rise. Yeah. Okay, so we were. I was paying like twenty five hundred a month for insurance. But the money was coming in. You know, you're doing, you're making a lot of money in high rise, right?
That's a lot of money, man. And especially when you're starting out. For, for masonry? And when I started, I started in the 0809 recession. So you can imagine what that was like for me as a young entrepreneur coming out. Like, you want to talk hungry? What are you paying oh, right from, now? Right now, I'm up around six. Because you proved yourself. Well, yeah. But here's the other crazy thing is the way that, I mean, we could get into this. This is a whole, like, three, four-hour podcast. No but joke. I haven't even hit. No, I've got ten, uh, ten things but, here. But, I haven't even hit them. Re- <laughs> Why haven't you brought them up? But realistically. It's talk. Yeah, but, like, realistically, WSIB, uh, the way that they, they gauge it is like this. So they'll look at our industry and they go, okay, this is how many claims you have. So all of you get painted with the same brush. That's not right. Now they also just changed it where I employ my wife to take care of a lot of my administration and stuff like that. Are you going to say she has to get paid? She has to pay WSIB. Yes. She pays WSIB. That's bullshit. Yeah, but it's only like one or two percent in the office. No, no, no. It's six. They they say that she's a bricklayer. No, because and I tell them she has never she doesn't own steel toe boots. She does not own steel toe boots. They said it does not matter. They just changed that. And this is why we need as we need the fellowship to band together and climb the mountain because when stuff like this happens, it just makes it harder. And this is the thing, is what you guys are talking about, it just makes it harder to turn a buck in an industry that is feeding the machine so much and they don't want to admit it. And it's like, if you make this so much easier on us, you will get so much back tenfold. If you increase the regulation, so now we don't have fly-by-nighters, we have people that are paying all on the same front, all right? Now guys aren't getting undercut anymore. We can produce all the same work. It doesn't need to I be... I agree with you. It doesn't... And but then, we all should stand together. Exactly. Like you wow. should, okay, if you go in and give a quote and you know that if another bricklayer is coming in to give you a quote, that other bricklayer should not turn around and go, yeah, I get that Craig Moore gave you this price. I'll do it for like five grand less. No. No, you should not be doing that as a brother in construction, as a sister in construction. You should not be doing that. Okay, but what is Stand he, your ground to the client. For him to drop five grand... What is he? What is he doing? We know the game. What they're, corner is he th- cutting? No, no. We know the game. They're gonna do it. Get the job. They're gonna start to the scope. Then they're gonna go back to the well. Yeah, that's what they're gonna do. And and, and th- hope that the client and pays. That's, and the thing is, clients. When you when I first talk to clients, they think every single contractor is exactly like me, and that's not the case. I I saved some clients out in Oakville. Mike from Integra Bell will tell you, they had a price. He gave them another price. And it was like astronomically higher. And we said, you know, and me and Mike got together and we talked about it. And we said, hey, this is what was going to happen. Somebody was going to come in and then they were just going to start bleeding. And the thing is, then that looks bad. Like WSIB, it paints us all with the same brush. We're all in the same envelope. It doesn't matter what work you do, what you uh, work you do. I'd love to get WSIB on the show. And here's, huh. so my, so I run into a lot of clients. This is one of the clients I ran into. He was a chairman of the board at WSIB. I'm not going to tell you his name. We Duh. had we had some we had some conversations. He actually told me he says, "Yeah, I used to work on the chairman of the board." And I looked at him and said, "I hate you so much." <laughs> that, that's exactly what I said to him. I said, that's "I hate the best you." Humor I, said, all night. I, said, I said, "I hate you so much, but I like you because you're going to tell me what I need to hear." And so we had a, a, a conversation, and he told me, you know. This is how it works, and you know nobody really leaves the like nobody really. That is leaves such it. an oxymoron and, to say yeah, that this I, is how it works. Yeah, this WSIB I, doesn't work. Listen, again, we sorry they collect. We, they collect. We could we could literally go on and on and on and on. It's it's one of these things where 
I have no problem paying insurance. I pay more insurances like you we pay, just discussed. we pay, everybody, everybody pays. pays. I pay multiple insurance. Yes. Here's the thing though. It's not competitive or comparable insurance. If it was comparable and competitive, I would not have a problem with paying it. Hell, open it up to the free market, boost the Canadian economy, get rid of it, and basically have clients. They're already responsible for pulling the e-clearance certificate. Not a lot of them know that. And the other, the loophole around that is if you personally work directly for the client, you don't have to show WSIB. So, but once you start paying it, you're in. You're in. But the thing is, but yet, thank you for bringing up that point because that's the loophole. That there's a lot the loophole. Of, so you want? They've been trying to close that fucking loop for the longest time, and they're not. And don't get me on Terion. Yeah. So that. So this is. So this is what we're gonna say is like if that's the way that works. But then what you're doing is by having that loophole, you're perpetuating the cash business. Yes. Okay. Yes. So so let let's. So how do you build the construction industry? You get rid of whatever's feeding the cash industry. First, tax. Second, WSIB. Yeah. Well, you have to make everything affordable for everybody. What, Listen, is that? what do you mean? Okay, so first of all, a lot of people own homes that can't afford homes. So they buy the home, and they think that the home is it's bought, and hey, it's just going to be my house, and I'm not going to have any problems. Five, ten years down the road, you're putting a roof in. you got water leaks through the bricks and blocks. Your windows are failing. All this maintenance starts happening. Now, now you're in a, in a predicament where you're like, Holy shit, I need to make more money to pay for my $90,000 slate roof that I bought with my house that I never thought I'd have to replace. So let's bounce off of that. Let's go into this. So why is it that I can show the bank or a lender six years worth of book work, right, that I'm earning X amount of dollars, right, but some guy from McDonald's making 15 bucks with a wife that works at Starbucks because they belong to a large conglomerate corporation can get a bigger mortgage than I can. Because I'm loving it. Because that's why you need to go to an independent broker. Well, that's the thing. But, but, this, but the thing is, it's not geared for you. And again, if anyone's listening to this show, the, la- the first half, they're going to be like, yeah, let's get into the trades. The second half, they're going to be like, shit, that's going to be tough. We, we just want to so, paint the right picture and, on and everybody coming. And, and they can help change. I guess what it is is... If you make money while you're younger and you put it in the right places, Mm -hmm. you're going to be okay. You're going to be able to afford that lifestyle that you want. And the quickest way to do that, the industry that needs you the most, the industry that needs you the most is the construction industry. It is lacking. It is not saturated with jobs. And the thing is, the environments are changing daily to make it more like, sorry, more better to make it better, <laughs> more better. For, yeah. I like to that. make it better for the worker. That university paid off. eh? I went to college. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I, because I know time's flying. We're what having a mean? great, it's almost two fucking hours. Okay. I know. That's what I'm saying. So I, I think some I of bet, the, I'm surprised that you've been quiet this whole time, but I, in the corner of my eye, I've been seeing you fucking oh, make I've notes. I've been wanting to talk the whole so time. Go, man. So I have start, not interrupted go, at all. God, no, talk. no. So I think I think there's a couple important things I want to talk about just before we hang up here. Okay, uh, one thing is I think that you don't ask for a raise; you prove yourself to the employer what you're worth. Sometimes all my all my advancements in in construction, I've never asked for a raise. I've never asked for more money. I either got what I wanted or someone gave me a raise. We so have two I've, trains of thought on that. I, I proved myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna make it short. Yeah. Two, I think that 
definitely we need to bring tech back into all the schools. All the schools. I think every school, if it's computerized or not, we should have a tech division. One really quick aside on that one, and me and Manny talked about this really quickly, is if you go into low-income housing and stuff like that where you know, and you bring up the tech school because that's their way out of those situations and stuff like that's that. That's what happened to me. Then, yeah, but the thing is, though, if that person is really, really trying hard to survive, they're going to make a really good worker. They might not make as good an entrepreneur and actually make a splash in the industry or have enough of a mental capacity. I'm not saying they're dumb. Mental capacity is different than intellect and IQ. If we talk about mental capacity, maybe they're trying to survive their situation and they don't have the time to innovate in the industry, which is going to change the face of it. And that's what I'm saying, like guys like Brandon Red Seal Carpenter and stuff like that. I'm not saying we're changing the face of the industry, but I don't know any Masons who went and talked to an MP recently. <laughs> like, no, like that's the thing. Yeah. And so that's and and it's important. I'm applauding to me. you for that. That's Thank amazing. you. I mean, I, I I'm trying not to like like ego that one, but I'm just saying like that's what I want because if it can invoke just the smallest amount of change, well, you're and I one can of the few of making that. a change. Exactly. If you want to, for go everyone and, else, not yourself. And, and if you want to post it all on Instagram and be that individual, and we're the only guys out here doing good work, good on you, fantastic. But like you know, some a lot of the rappers, that, all, older rappers that go after the newer rappers. What are you doing for the game? What are you changing in the industry? What are you doing? You should ask yourself those questions. If you're donating. Make that known, you know, push out some positive vibes. If you're collaborating, great. I'm glad you're working with people, but let's see what we can do about making it easier for us because taxation is coming. Inflation is coming. Material prices Depression are Depression is coming. Yeah. And then on top of that as well, let's just add into the fact that like not a lot of guys talk about mental health in this industry, which is huge. Yeah. It's huge, we, but we massive. We could, that's a whole other show. But let's get back to so, your 10 so points. So two, yeah. I think that we need to get the right teachers in place. We don't just get somebody to teach plumbing when they don't know plumbing. I have a friend, I have a best friend right now. He is now becoming a teacher. He's teaching plumbing. He knows nothing about plumbing. He's brilliant. Did you tell him? Yeah, he was telling me. No, but, but did you but tell him that you have no business teaching plumbing because you're not a plumber? No, because what he is passing on, so he follows he follows basically a layout and Okay, it's, so who it's came up with the layout? The, was it the, a plumber? The school, the school did. Was it a plumber? I don't know the technical part of it, but my point is, is that what he's giving back for running your own business or becoming an employee is amazing what he's giving to the kids. How much experience do the people wearing orange aprons at a big box store have? Not much. That was my point. I just want to say one thing that I want everybody to understand something that, and it's not just Toronto. Look at where the schools or whichever school is in your city that is offering trades and what kind of community it is. Because Carlito brought up a really good point that most trade schools are in lower income communities. Politicians need to fucking change that. Yeah. They, I want to see a trade school in Forest Hill. It will never fucking happen. Well, but I want to say this is even more important. You're one of the very few, and, and so are you. I'm not educated. I didn't go to college. I didn't go to university. I went to school of hard knocks. Yeah. You don't have to go to school <laughs> to be good in construction. No. You don't have to be go to school to become successful. You need to be not afraid and push forward. And if you don't have the schooling, you need to be smart. Or, this is the thing. If you don't have the schooling, you need to have the skills and you need to have the smarts. If you're not skilled, you can learn the skill, but you need to be smart. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is they think, Dumb construction worker. They don't think smart construction worker. No construction worker. worker's dumb. No. 
to the, build something is very difficult. No, you have to oh, work that vision. I know a few dumb contractors okay. <laughs> on TV. Oh my God, <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> how much of that is them and how much of that is script? Because you can blame the writers for that there one. There we go. So, <laughs> um, is it you the know, puppet I, master or the puppet? <laughs> yeah. But, but I think it's really important that people aren't afraid to go into business, educated or not. You can yeah. do well. I think one of our biggest problems, I'm just going over a couple of things no, that I want to talk go about. Ahead, man. One of our biggest problems is politicians. They're not putting enough <laughs> money and energy back into construction like you said earlier. The agree light is on. Yeah, like <laughs> they don't care what's happening. You know what happened in, in the 80s? Brian Mulroney destroyed Canada by taking all of our tech divisions and sending it across seas. Now China is one of the biggest powerhouses, all from tech. Like they, they're all hands on. They're building stuff. We used to have machine shops here. We used to have wood shops One here. One of, oh, all. they're the only. So, well, so no, then, India's doing pretty good. So then, Taiwan let's, and, so then let's bring that back and let's say, okay, we have the outreach. We have the platform of the podcast. We now need champions who are going to go and interact with these people because nobody is doing it because everybody is out for self. And the thing is, the industry doesn't change. If we don't start thinking like a team, but the industry is also depending on other countries. We should be depending on ourselves. 100%. We have everybody talented to do it here. We have everything we need. And here. Under, and under, and by the way, to all the youngins, we have undiscovered talent. You might be the next best framer. That's the thing. If you're looking at this world, going, "Oh, this is so hopeless," or "I don't know what I want to do," you could be the next. Big thing. I, I want you to be the next I one agree. because if you haven't explored every single road, how do you know which one is going to lead you to that golden ticket? Also, like with the politicians, they we, there needs to start being more of an open communication. There needs to that. Has we're to not a priority because to them. again, we're not. And the other, the other unfortunate factor is they change every four years when elect, and then it depends on who's in power. So. This guy, and that's why I really applauded Monty for what he said, because when he said, it's not a matter of if I carry the torch, it's if I drop the torch, somebody else is going to need to pick that up and keep carrying it. And that's the mentality that you need is it's not like I'm going to detriment myself. It's I'm going to carry this as far as I can. And when I drop this, I'm hoping that the guy behind me is going to pick this up and keep going with it. Well, it sounds like you just picked up the torch and it's a long time before you drop it. <laughs> But uh, there's a, there's so many to <laughs> listen there's so many topics man so bring them up man uh, I think one of the biggest ones you you just started to touch on it we said we'd probably talk about it later on in another show is definitely the way people talk to their employees or subcontractors you cannot be angry and tell them they're stupid and tell them to fuck off and and treat them like shit you need to be partners with your employees and your trades. You're working together in business. The saying I just read is what was and what is. What was was a bunch of uneducated, hardworking, hardened-minded individuals throwing up projects with heavy materials and heavier tools and all that other stuff. That's what was. What is now is safety-driven, mentally conscious, wanting to be personable people i have a family at home and i don't, I don't want to spend the day yelling at you you know like i like it's just it's changed so much the preconceived notion is that we're still like apes <laughs> throwing things at each other and i think that what needs, <laughs> i see manny like that all the time what needs to happen is <laughs> it, 
people have to realize that the products are getting better. The ease of work environment is changing. You're walking into multi-million dollar homes. Back when I started, million dollar home project, that was a big deal. Now it's like every single house. I know. Like, it's changing. It's but changing. We have other problems too coming up. One of the problems is that corporations are getting very cheap and they're making cheaper products and we're having failure in products now, which is going to destroy the construction industry because the people well, that's that, another podcast i know but i, I just <laughs> want to mention some of the problems what i would like to see at a young people and i'm gonna say what i've done by 17 i had a van by 18 i had a dump trailer one of the very few guys i knew that had a dump trailer i had tools throughout my whole truck i knew how to use them and i was out there hungry by 21 i was making 120 grand all my friends knew that but i wasn't partying I wasn't out all night and I was working. What I'm expecting from other people is what I expected from myself. So when I see a young guy, I take a young guy serious when he has a van, not a sports car, when he has his own tools and a tool belt and he comes to work and he proves himself to me. If he wants 25 bucks, I'll give him 25 bucks. If he doesn't produce $30 for me, then I don't want him anymore. So bouncing that off. What probably happened to you that you don't realize is that while you were younger, when you went to work, you realized what a dollar cost. So because you knew about what you had to put in to make that dollar, it changed you as a person. And mm -hmm. so you valued it more because that was time that you spent. So you didn't party and go out and do all those things. Because well, I did party. And, and don't get I me wrong. Every <laughs> once in a while, you let the hair down and yeah. you go out. I, I get that. That's what I'm saying is these transferable skills, these changing perspectives that happen to you when you get into something like this is you start learning what a dollar costs. So if you, here's the thing, if you work hard for $1, it becomes easy and you learn how to make a dollar elsewhere easier. You always think of the hard dollar. You never think of the easy dollar. You go, fuck, I don't want to go back there trying to make hard dollars. I want to continue to make easy dollars. One other thing I didn't touch base on, again, coming off of starting out young is your body gets used to it. It gets so used to true. it. So what ends up happening is the muscle memory comes so in. So true. now, guys look at are, the older generation. Guys that are like twenty five, like Doska, Danny Doska. He was like, "Yeah, my dad's fifty. I don't or the sixty. Uncle, I, on their yeah, 60s. I don't want him to work. I don't want him to work." But I'm going. Literally, that guy can probably outlay half the guys <laughs> yeah. here because his body knows. Because those again, that neuron thing, it's ingrained. He's doing things, and it's just effortless to him to throw those bricks into the wall. Whereas I'd be like. Fuck me. And a young guy who's 25, who's never lifted a trial in his life, no chance. So I, anyways, yeah. So, so right right now, I'm, I'm doing it about uh, 50 yards of concrete a day. Yeah. That's what what's, um, we're dropping together as a team yeah. right now. So I'm working with this Italian guy, and me and him are troweling a couple areas that need finessing from mm -hmm. the guys that are better on the trowels. Mm -hmm. I'm over here. I'm over there. Anyways, we're talking. And he says to me, my fucking uncle's 75 years old. And last weekend at my dad's place, he laid 1,500 square feet of concrete <laughs> by himself on the trowel, 75 years old, Italian guy out there, perfect. Mm -hmm. Not with all the new tools, a fucking trowel, man. Yeah. And he did it on his own, 75 years old. So that's, that's brilliant. And you are right. There is muscle memory and yeah, so Yeah, and on. so that's why it's important for, again, that, that younger, that new blood, because 
And that's what we see going away. You're not developing that at a young age. So you're missing not just the construction opportunity to make a boatload of money, but you're also missing this concept where you change your mind about things and you start realizing that there's other avenues you can go. That's true. Did we get everything out? Oh, no. We got to wrap it up. I'm just going to stop and we'll try to put no, it in somewhere else. No, you want to bring, bring it up, but I want to try no, to wrap it you up. You know what? It's, it's too long. I don't want to. Yeah. What are you missing? Take the bug out of people. Oh, why, What's, buddy? I could stay here all night. That's why we're doing twenty-four hours. The you next were couple quiet. Nights. <laughs> you were so quiet during the beginning of this. Why show. Why would I interrupt something good? It's been a great show. Thanks so much, Mark. No I really problem. appreciate it. I mean, I, I didn't mean to make it a downer. I just wanted that the kids getting into this understand where it potentially might go. Well, it's the truth. They need to hear it. Peaks and valleys are going to happen in I your understand. life. You talk about that hard dollar and the, and the easy dollar. You earned the hard dollar, and it got you to the easy dollar. Exactly. And it does get easier and not every day is the same. And, nope. you know, and like I said, it's peaks and valleys. But I think really at the end of the day, don't you want to be involved in something that needs you as opposed to just another cog in the wheel for something else that can just discard you so easily? I would love to see a lot more social media so-called influencers out there doing something other than for themselves. And you know what? I think hopefully this podcast brings awareness to it. And I think if we get enough like-minded people together, we can achieve something. And I think that unfortunately it's going to take time, mm -hmm. which is not, which is something that is in short supply when you're a contractor these days. I think that if we create a clear goal on where we're going and we make it worth it and we press the right avenues, I'm really hopeful for change because it needs to happen. And don't burn your fellow brother, sister in construction. Don't no, undercut right. them just because you want to get the job. Don't become the cash under the table. Don't do that. The best thing I saw was from a guy, Jason Schubert of Schubert Craft. Guy does great window restoration. And he said, he showed an email he sent to a client where he was competing with another one of his buddies. And he says, unfortunately, I don't feel the need to compete with friends in my industry. So I'm going to let you take the work from this person. I'm not going to provide a competing quote because I will be comparable. My industry is too in need for me to compete with my friends. Well said. And I'm going, that's the guy that I want in my corner. That's the industry. And, that's, and that, that I'm seeing more of. I just hope that that continues and I hope people listen to this and they push that forward. Well, I think, I think another big thing is, is everybody wants to drive their Tesla car. Everyone wants to wear a suit. Not everybody me. wants everyone to respect you. What they don't understand the is I don't want to do in it. construction, we're doctors, man. We're going in and we're doing heart surgery, brain surgeons, all contractors across the board. If they're good and they care and they're passionate, are doctors to me. You don't negotiate with your heart surgeon on price. Carlitos or your penis doctor, as uh, as <laughs> many would guys say. Beat me. I was about to say Carlitos is the gynecologist of construction. I do want to say something. Uh, at 15 years old, I, ran, I read uh, an Anthony Robbins book. And Tony! At, the, at, at the time, I was making about two to $2,500 while I was going to high school still. And I always wanted to break through that. So I started reading success magazines and books because uh, we didn't have YouTube yep. and Google and all that shit. It taught me that once you learn how to make two grand, you make two grand. You never forget how to make two grand. Once you learn how to make five grand, you always know how to make five grand. Once you learn how to make 10 grand a month, 
you know how to make 10 and you'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to keep pushing yourself for your goals and keep making your goals higher, but realistic. Craig Moore Construction. Mark, thank you very much for bringing up this topic and being back on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. www.craigmore.ca and it's mark at craigmore.ca and it's on Instagram, craigmore underscore construction. And we got to get out of here. Carlito! And this one's special shout out to Waddell Engineering, who's asked me to let Carlito beatbox a little bit longer than the last show. So Mark and I are going to start to pack up and just start to have some coffee and some donuts and some treats. He brought some stuff from Monastery. <laughs> My lips just got all juicy looking at it. You idiot. <laughs> Man, Mark, honestly, thanks so much for bringing this shit up. And and I love stirring the pot. And I I want more and more people out there to understand that give back and give more to your fellow tradesperson. That's all it is, man. Just like understand that you're not the only one that cares about this industry. And if you really dig deep, you're going to find a lot of people care about this industry. We're all in this together. We're all in this together, man. So, Carlito, get us out of here, man. Straight out of TL, baby. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> <laughs>